Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Oh. 
Renewing your mind to keep the devil alive. 
we worship you. Worse. Worse. 
corner worshiping. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm all right. One complaint doesn't help. More room out than in. What? I said more room out than in. That might be true, but you start complaining, then you might cut yourself off spiritually, so I prefer to keep it in. Until you explode? Well, if you explode on the right person, sometimes it's beneficial. Okay, we're on a prayer call, so I'm going to leave that alone. Well, see, I wasn't even there that time, that particular time. Yeah, it's rare when you're not there, so, you know, I erred on the prayer of the caution. Whatever. All right, well, why don't you open up some prayers so I can get to the reading, dear? Okay. Um, Father, all the praise and all the glory goes to you forever and ever. I thank you, Father, for this day and for allowing us to be able to enjoy it. Father, I thank you for this call, for us being able to come together for fellowship, to share and to learn of your word. Father, I pray that whatever we hear today, that something touches us that will help us in our walk with you, that will help us get through the day and the rest of the week. Father, I, I pray that something that we hear today will will awaken something in us, will, I don't know, set off a, a, a light bulb or, or what have you, but that it will help us in our walk and, and help others to to recognize you in us and perhaps help them along the way as well. Father, we say a prayer for those that, that are struggling in various ways, praying that they know you, Father, and that they can that they will turn to you and ask you for help to seek you for guidance. Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Father God, yarado saraka simbose shara dido tariyamo. Okay. The believer's prayer is nonetheless ineffectual. Not only is he able to have the lost experience instantly restored, he also day by day grows colder and drier in his feelings. He loses interest in everything. Previously, he could pray for hours. Today, even a few minutes becomes force. He has no inclination to pray at all. The reading of the Bible, which in the past greatly interested him, currently looms before him as a massive rock, from which he can derive no nourishment. He experiences no pleasure when fellowshipping with others or undertaking any task. He engages in these affairs merely because a Christian is expected to do them. All is dull and forced. Sounds familiar. Confronted by such a sensation, some Christians not at all shrink back. Many matters which they know belong to God's will are left undone because they have fallen into despondency. Many duties go unfulfilled. Their former conduct, which they had corrected during the periods of ecstasy, returns to them. What they pitied others for in earlier days has presently become their own experience. 
They adopt, talk- they adopt talkative, frivolous, jesting, and fun-loving manners. Although they had undergone a change, their change did not last. When a child of God is stripped of his joyous feeling, he concludes that all is gone. Since he no longer senses the Lord's presence, surely the Lord cannot possibly be with him. If he does not feel the warm affection of the Lord, he most certainly have, must have displeased him. All this experience lengthens. As this experience lengthens, the believer seems to have lost even the sense of God. He would therefore seek earnestly to recover what he has lost, so long as he does not, so long as he does not faint in his heart. For does he not love the Lord and has not longed to be near Him? How can he abide the presence of, of sensing God's love? He goes forth to find God. He struggles to free himself from this desolate state, but without success. Even when he can force himself into manifesting some good conduct. His heart surely condemns him as being hypocritical. It's not easy for him to succeed in anything, for his failures are many. This naturally intensifies his suffering. If anyone should praise him at this moment, he is keenly embarrassed because no one can appreciate how miserable he is in the inside. On the other hand, if anyone should blame him, he senses the rightness of it because he understands his own weakness. He deeply admires those who are advancing in the Lord and who are having sweet communion with him. He looks upon all others around him as better than he, since they each possess some measure of good, while he is not a shred. Will this barren condition continue forever, or will he regain his former experience? What usually happens is as follows. After a while, perhaps within a few weeks, the coveted feeling suddenly returns to him. This may occur the hour of listening to a sermon, or following earnest prayer in his early morning devotion, or during his midnight meditation. The time varies, but the joy, ju- joy does return. During this break in the believer's condition, all which have been forfeited is restored. The presence of the Lord is as precious as before. The glow of love fires up again in his bosom. Prayer and Bible reading become sweet as in days gone by. And the Lord is so lovely and so approachable that he can almost be touched. To draw nigh to him is not a burden, but the pleasure of his heart. Everything is transformed. No more darkness, suffering, and stillness. All is light. All all is now light, joy, and refreshments. Since he considers his unfaithfulness the reason for the Lord's departure, he therefore after uses all diligence to preserve what is regained, lest he be deprived of this life of feeling all over again. His outward conduct is more careful than ever. He serves the Lord daily with all his strength, hoping to sustain his joy and never again fall as before. Yet strange as it may seem, despite all his faithfulness, the Lord sudden, shortly afterwards leads the saint once more. He tra- his transport of delight is altogether taken flight. He again slumps into anguish, blackness, and barrenness. If we examine the biography of many Christians, we discover that this type of experience is shared by many after they've been delivered from sin and encounter God as person. Initially, the Lord causes them to sense his love, his presence, his joy, but soon such feelings disappear. It subsequently comes back, rendering them extremely happy, not long afterwards, though, it vanishes a second time. At least several times the Christian undergoes these, undergoes these come-and-go occurrences. Such phenomena would not happen while he is still fleshly. Before he learns to love the Lord, only after he has, only after he has made some progress spiritually and begun to love the Lord will he meet this kind of situation. Hmm. Interesting. <coughs> According to the believer's interpretation, he is at a spiritual speak when in possession of the wonderful feeling. He is at his lowest when deprived of it. He often categorizes his walk as full of ups and downs. 
But this he means that while he's feeling joyful, loving the Lord, and sensing his presence, he is his spiritual best. But if he has inward sensations marred by dryness and pain, he must be at his spiritual worst. In other words, he is spiritual so long as the warm fire of love is burning in his heart, but soulless if his heart turns icy and cold. Such is a common notion among Christians. Is it accurate? Is it totally accurate? Is it, is it totally inaccurate? Unless we understand how it is wrong, we should suffer defeat to the very end. A Christian should recognize that feeling is exclusively a part of the soul. When he lives by sensation, no matter what the kind, he is being soulish. During the period that he feels joyful, is loving the Lord, since his presence, he is walking by feeling. Likewise, during the period that he feels just the opposite, he is still walking by feeling. Just as he is soulish, whose life and labor are dictated by refreshing, bright, and joyous sensation, so is he equally soulish when walking determined by a dry, gloomy, and painful one. A real spiritual life is never dominated by nor lived in feeling. Rather, does it regulate feeling. Nowadays, Christians mistake a life of feeling for spiritual experience. This is because many have never entered into genuine spirituality and hence interpret happy sensation to be spiritual experience. They do not know that such feeling is still solical. Only what occurs in the intuition is spiritual experience. The rest is merely solical activity. It is here that Christians make one of the grossest mistakes. Under the stimulation of emotion, a child of God may feel he has ascended to heaven, and naturally he assumes he has an ascended life. But he does not realize this is solely how he feels. He thinks he possesses the Lord whenever it is conscious of his presence, yet he believes he has lost the Lord whenever he cannot sense him. Once more he knows not that this, once more he knows not that this is but the way he feels. He thinks he is truly loving the Lord as he senses a warmth in his heart. But should there be no burning sensation, then he concludes that he has ver- veritably lost his love for him. Yet again, he is ignorant of the truth that such are only his feelings. We know that fact may not agree with feeling, for the latter is exceedingly untrustworthy. Indeed, whether one senses much or senses nothing, the fact remains he is unchanged. He may feel he is progressing, and yet may make no progress at all. He may likewise feel that he is regressing, and yet may not regress in the slightest. These are simply his feelings. When full of lively stirrings, he reckons he is advancing spiritually. This, however, is just a time of an emotional excitement, which soon to die to his former state. The working of emotion seems to assist solical people to advance, but the working of the spirit causes spiritual men to advance. The progress of the former is false. Only what is attained is the power of the Holy Spirit is true. All righty. Well, well, well. I guess we're about to get back off into this thing here, huh? Ha, you're a boost here to the Kosesha Saraka. The believer's prayer is nonetheless ineffectual. He's talking about we stopped last time about um that uh he thought he is oh I just read at this moment the child of God would naturally surmise he must have seen that the Lord is constantly forsaking him. Accordingly he probably sets about scrutinizing his recent conduct, trying to ascertain how he sinned against the Lord. He hopes that upon confession the Lord will return and replenish him with that previous feeling of intimacy and high spirits. As he examines himself, however, he cannot detect any special sin. He seems to be just the same as before, and so the believer once, once more resumes his inward inquiry. If today's condition provokes the Lord to depart from me, he asks, why did he, not, why, did he, why did he not forsake me before? 
As I have not sinned, then I say again why the Lord has left me. The believer is completely mystified. He can only conclude that he must have sinned against the Lord somewhere, and hence his forsaken condition. And Satan accuses him too, reinforcing the false notion that he has actually sinned, wherefore he cries in prayer to the Lord for forgiveness, hoping to gain what is lost. So that's what he's talking about right there. He's starting off the condition of the believer. He said, the believer's prayer is nonetheless ineffectual. Not only, is he unable to, not only is he unable to have the lost experience instantly restored, he also day by day grows colder and drier in his feelings. He loses interest in everything. Previously, he could pray for hours. Today, even a few minutes becomes forced. He has no inclination to pray at all. The reading of the Bible, which in the past greatly interested him, currently looms before him as a massive rock from which he can derive no nourishment. He experiences no pleasure when fellowship with others or undertaking any task. He engages in these affairs merely because a Christian is expected to do them. All is dull and forced. So this Christian, at this point in time in his walk, is dry. He's, you know, I, I don't feel like this. I, God has left me. I'm trying to pray, but I can't. I don't feel it. I don't want to read my Bible. Uh, I, I know I need to read it. Uh, I ain't getting nothing out of it. Any of y'all ever been there? I just asked. <laughs> yep. Just asking a question. Mm-hmm. So I was just asking a question. Confronted by such a sensation, some Christians, not all, shrink back. Many matters which they know belong to God's will are left undone because they have fallen into despondency. Many duties go unfulfilled. Their former conduct, which they had corrected during the periods of ecstasy, returns to them. What they pitied others for in earlier days has presently become their own experience. They adopt talkative, frivolous gestures and fun-loving manners. Although they had undergone a change, that change did not last. So pretty much they just kind of regress into the old selves, kind of going back to doing the things they used to do. I ain't feeling really, I don't really feel like reading my Bible. You know, I ain't getting nothing out of it anyway, uh, you know. It, it requires energy and work, and no, nah, I'm good. I'll just go ahead and watch the game. I'll go chill. I, you know, that's basically the state of mind this, 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 this child of God is in at this point in time. When a child of God is stripped of his joyous feelings, he concludes that all is gone. Since he no longer senses the Lord's presence, surely the Lord cannot possibly be with him. If he does not feel the warm affection of the Lord, he must certainly must have displeased him. As this experience lengthens, the believer seems to lose even the sense of God. He will therefore seek earnestly to recover what he's lost, so long as he does not faint in his heart. For does he love the Lord, and has he not longed to be near him? How can he abide the presence of sense? How can he abide the absence of sensing God's love? He goes forth to find God. He struggles to free himself from this desolate state, but without success. Even when he can force himself into manifesting some good conduct, his heart secretly condemns him as being hypocritical. It's not easy for him to succeed in anything, for his failures are many. This naturally intensifies his suffering. If anyone should praise him at the moment, he is keenly embarrassed because no one can appreciate how miserable he is inside. On the other hand, if anyone should blame him, he senses the rightness of it because he understands his own weakness. He deeply admires those who advance in the Lord when have a sweet communion with him. He looks upon all others around him as better than he, since they each possess some measure of good while he not, has not a shred. And it's funny. 
It's the song, The Tears of a Clown When No One's Around, just popped in my head. You know, um, and the thing about this, to be very honest with you, as I'm reading this, he's talking about this believer. He will go through days of this, you know, days of, ugh, it's a struggle. Oh, I don't feel like being bothered. And I'm going to be very honest with you. You're going to deal with that the rest of your life. Whereas it might not be days, but there will be moments. I don't feel like being bothered right now, to be very honest with you. I'm just going to be real. I don't feel like being bothered. I got stuff got to do. So you have to understand and get to the point in your walk. It ain't got nothing to do about your feelings. See, that's the part where God is talking about diligence. That's the part where God is talking about perseverance. That's the part that God is talking about dedication. You get up and go to your job when you don't feel like it. You might have a, a oh, you, and you know what's even worse? You will go to your job when you're feeling sick because you don't want to take your sick days off feeling sick. You take your sick days, you want to be enjoying them. So I will go to job feeling moody, feeling bad, but see, I know it's a responsibility. I know that I, I, if I don't go to my job, then I'm gonna miss too many days. I might not get paid. I get some time. I'll see all of that. See, I, all that's a responsibility. But see, we don't look at the word of God in the same way. We look at it as something. Yeah, I need to do. Yeah, I, it might be beneficial, especially in the initial stages. And see, that's what, you know, because, again, you know, well, God knows my heart. We'll give you 101 reasons, excuses or whatever, why we don't get up and do, and all honesty, what we are required to do as children of God, as good stewards. But I guess the key word is good steward. Because you might be a steward, but if you're not a good steward, that means you're not really managing those gifts and those things that God has placed inside you. That's why he doesn't give you anymore. You're not managing what you have. I guess I need to keep reading because y'all don't want to hear that. Will this barren condition continue forever, or will he regain his former experience? What usually happens is as follows. After a while, perhaps within a few weeks, the coveted feeling suddenly returns to him. This may occur the hour of listening to a sermon, or following earnest prayer, in his early morning devotion, or during his midnight meditation. Time varies, but the joy does return. During this break in the believer's condition... of love fires up again in his bosom. Prayer and Bible reading become sweet as in days gone by. And the Lord is so lovely and so approachable that he can almost be touched. To draw nigh to him is not a burden but the pleasure of his heart. Everything is transformed. No more darkness, suffering, and staleness. All is now light, joy, and refreshment. Since he considers his unfaithfulness the reason for the Lord's departure, he thereafter uses all diligence to preserve what is gained, lest he be deprived of his life of feeling all over again. As our conduct is more careful than ever, he serves the Lord daily with all his strength, hoping to sustain his joy and never again fall as fail as before. And see, this is, again, let's, let me say this is the beginning stages of walking after God, of, of growing in God. And one of the keys that one must develop, and you're not going to even begin to have an understanding of it in, in the initial stages, 
this believer here and us as well at some point in our walk, and you're going to do that at first, is you're doing everything in your strength and your ability and your understanding and, and what you know. You can't do it. But, see, you don't know that at first. And so God understands that, et cetera. You have to get to the point in your walk that you must have to understand, you know, Lord, I don't want to do this, but I turn it over to you. If you help me, I can do it. It can be done through me by your grace, by your mercy. Lord, I need your strength to do this. Lord, I need, and see, that's what happens in a lot of times. I'm going to just bring out a job situation where somebody told me, I, every day I went to, went to the job, I'd have to pray that, Lord, don't let me choke them. Lord, don't let me say something. Lord, you know, see, that's beginning stages of literally God training you. Because in and of yourself, you want to say something, you want to do something, and you're recognizing that you don't have the strength to contain yourself, so you begin to turn that over to God. And it's the same way here. See, in the beginning stages, you're trying to be moral, you're trying to conduct yourself right. And that's how we all start, because that's what we know, and that's all fine, nice, and well. In the beginning stages, but God begins to grow you up out of that, recognizing that, that you need to be dependent upon him. You need to be dependent upon him to stop this, to stop that, to stop that. You know why? Because recognizing the fact that you're a vessel. I go back again, the jar with water at the bottom, air at the top. You throw all the water out the jar, then it's full of air. The vessel will always be full of something. So now what happens when we as children of God stop doing something, we take all the water, we throw it out of the vessel, and now it's just full of air. I stop smoking. I'll start drinking, I'll stop drinking, I'll start eating. That's how we do. But God is contrary. What you do is you keep eating the word of God. See, when you're doing that, you're putting the word inside of you more and more and more. You're eating the word, you're eating the word. And see, that's what you have to learn when we were talking about earlier, when I believe we're struggling to read the Bible, when I believe we're struggling to do it. That's when you do it anyway. That's when you make a point, I'm going to do it. If I said I'm going to do 10 minutes, if you've got to put your timer down and say I'm going to read this Bible for 10 minutes, you sit down and you read that Bible for 10 minutes. You feel you might not be getting anything out of it, but that's a beautiful thing because your soul is like whatever. But your spirit is going, yes, he's beginning to connect. See, I'm going to read. See, that's that, that, that training, that's that dedication that you have to get, and God has to develop that in you. Again, you go to your job sick because you don't want to take your sick day off when you're sick. Well, why can't you force yourself to read the Bible? I ain't getting nothing out of it. Beautiful. Continue to think that, but continue to do it. Because, see, what you're doing is you're feeding your spirit. You keep feeding that spirit, feeding that spirit, feeding that spirit. And it's the voice. See, that's the importance, again, those who don't speak in tongues. That's a direct connection to your spirit. It's bypassing your soul. So, again, when you constantly feed your spirit, that vessel is half full of God, half full of water, half full of air. What is happening, let's, let's say that that water is God. And as you continue to sharakosa, as you continue to force feed yourself to read the Bible, force yourself to what? Whatever time you set aside you do, you keep doing that. That water just says keep continually dripping into that vessel, continually dripping into that vessel. If you keep drip, 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 we know we get leaks in our roofs. Drip, drip, sooner or later, it's going to overflow. 
sooner or later that vessel is going to be full, and that's how God works, because he comes on the inside. You keep putting that word in you, in you, in you, in you. <clears throat> what happens is it begins to push that other stuff out. So now it's not so much that I quit smoking on my own, but I don't have a desire to do that. I don't have a desire to go out and hang out at the club. I don't have a desire to do this. Because, see, now your desires have changed because the word of God is inside you. Okay, I'm going to just keep reading because y'all want to hear that. Yet strange as it may seem, despite all his faithfulness, the Lord shortly afterwards leads the same once more. His transport of delight is altogether taking flight. He again slumps into anguish, blackness, and barrenness. If we examine the biography of many Christians, we discover that this type of experience is shared by many after they have been delivered from sin and encountered God as a person. Initially, the Lord causes them to sense his love, his presence, his joy. But soon such feelings disappear. This subsequently comes back, rendering them extremely happy, yet not long afterwards, though it vanishes a second time. At least several times the Christian undergoes these come-and-go occurrences. Such phenomena will not happen while he's still fleshly. Such phenomena will not happen while he's still fleshly before he learns to love the Lord. Only after he has made some progress spiritually and begin to love the Lord will he meet this kind of situation. So basically he's saying this will not happen when the person is still fleshly, but he has had some spiritual progress. So now that he has had some spiritual progress, the Lord has to begin to teach you the difference between walking in your spirit and walking in your flesh. If I don't show you the difference, then you never will know there's a difference. You think everything's the same. So we're spirit, soul, and body. That's how God made us. So we have to learn that there's a difference between our spirit, there's a difference between our soul, and there's a difference between our body. If we don't ever get, get, go through different experiences, we think they're all the same, and that is not how God intends for us to walk this walk. According to the believer's interpretation, he is at his spiritual peak when in possession of this wonderful feeling. He is at his lowest when deprived of it. He often categorizes his walk as full of ups and downs. But this he means that he is feeling, when he, while he is feeling joyful, loving the Lord, and sensing his presence, he is at his spiritual best. But if his inward sensations are marked by dryness and pain, he must be his spiritual worst. In other words, he is spiritual so long as the warm fire of love is burning in his heart, but, but if his soulless heart turns icy cold, I'm sorry, in other words, he is spiritual so long as the warm fire of love is burning in his heart, but soulless if his heart turns icy cold. Such is a common notion among Christians. Is it accurate? Is it totally inaccurate? Unless we understand how it is wrong, we should suffer defeat to the very end. Knowledge, wisdom, but in everything, get an understanding. You need to understand how you work. Again, I said this morning, I don't feel like being bothered, but I understand that's me. And it ain't got nothing to do about what needs to be done. This is the job to me. I get up and do it. It ain't got nothing to do about how I feel. And I also recognize that if I keep pressing sooner or later, my spirit is going to overtake everything else. I recognize that. So I might sound blah. I might, again, again why I'm not going to complain? Because it's not going to help the situation. If anything is going to add to my negative negativity, it's going to add get those spirits that's, just, uh, that's antagonizing me, trying to kill me to keep my mouth shut. It's going to give them power, so I keep it shut. So if I choose to say something, then I would I would choose to praise the Lord. If I choose to say something, I would choose to speak His word. Again, if I say if I choose to say something, so I'm not going to murmur and complain. I'm not going to just vent. 
I'm going to just monitor my tongue because I recognize my tongue is what's either going to blessing or cursing. That's my, that's my power. What I let out of my mouth, that's my power. So, yes, I must monitor my tongue. I must monitor how I act and respond to different things. That's my responsibility because that dictates which direction things are going to go. A Christian should recognize that feeling is exclusively a part of the soul. When he lives by sensation, no matter what the kind, he is being soulish. During the period that he feels joyful, is loving the Lord and senses his presence, he is walking by feeling. Likewise, during the period that he feels just the opposite, he is still walking by feeling. Just as he is soulish whose life and labor are dictated by a refreshing, bright, and joyous sensation, so is he equally soulish whose walk and work are determined by a dry, gloomy, and painful one. A real spiritual life is never dominated by nor lived in feeling. Rather, it doesn't regulate feeling. Nowadays, Christians mistake a life of feeling for spiritual experience. This is because many have never entered into genuine spirituality and hence interpret happy sensation to be spiritual experience. They do not know that such feeling is still solical. Only what occurs in the intuition is spiritual experience. The rest is merely solical activity. Pop quiz. Where's your intuition at? Everybody failed. Didn't we talk about this on Sunday? We talk about this often. That the intuition is the Holy Spirit. I said, where is it at? Where is it located at? Inside of us, isn't it? Where inside of us? Where are you feeling that? No, I'm going to take y'all back to first grade. Okay, anatomy and physiology. Let's do this. So what is the intuition part of? Spirit? What are you what are you comprised of? Spirit, soul, and body. Okay, so that's how many components? Three. All right. So where do you think your intuition lies in? Which part of those three components? What is intuition? Okay, let me ask is 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 it only in one? Yes. Biblically, yes. Okay. Not the way that the the world. See, don't get confused with how the world defines things as how the Bible defines things. That's why we need to separate that. Okay. Then it's in the spirit? Which part of your spirit? And what, what is intuition? Okay, you lost me with what part of the spirit. Well, what is intuition? That would be because there's three parts of the spirit, right? Thank you for helping. Right, three parts of the spirit. There are three parts of the spirit, and I wrote it down, and I can't find it. Um, It's the communion, intuition, and conscious. That's the three parts of the spirit. Correct. 
Intuition, actually, Pam, is in the spirit, and it's part, it's one-third. I, I stated the question wrong, but it's in the spirit, but you need to recognize that there are other parts of the spirit. Intuition intuition, and conscious. Let's, let's break all this down. What, what? okay, in our spirit, what are those three different components? What do they comprise? What What does each of them represent? What is, what is it? Again, and see, this is why, like I say, I mean, this is, reading out of the book is one thing. Let's let's break this down because this is the application. So you, this is what we talk about: getting an understanding. Okay. I mean, and it's deep stuff. So look, <laughs> and and again. You got to go over and over and over again. So don't don't feel like you know. I mean, this is the only way that we're gonna get this. And all honesty, once you get it out of here, out of this, you're gonna be t- you're gonna be tried. You're gonna be tested by the Holy Spirit. That's real. Get out of this book. <laughs> yeah, trust and believe. We're talking about this conversation for a reason because God's gonna bring it up so that you'll know. Because if not, it's just words on the page. I got her. She going back to her nose. Make up the life she's cool. I am. Man, you got me digging. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to cut. At least you took notes. Ooh, no, he didn't. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I can't stand you for real, though. Mm-hmm. That's right. See, you might have took him and lost him. I said, that'd be I'm going to see the paper somewhere around here. Well, I do. I take it because when I'm in my office, I put them on sticky notes and sheets and sheets of paper. <laughs> I do. And I shove them around in my office. And the one I remember, I put on sticky note the three parts of the spirit. Because I was like, wait a minute, we're working with three parts of a being with the body, mind. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, I said, being the three parts of the spirit, too? The yep. spirit is one of the three parts that we are comprised of anyway. Then it's three parts to that. I was like, okay, wait a minute. That's too much. Let me write. Mm-hmm. I think I need to put all my I need to just bring my notebook and put everything in one book. Because this is foolish. This is crazy. Anybody else want to help out? Everybody like, oh. <laughs> well, i tell you what. While she's looking for that, y'all need to go get a pencil and paper or a pen and paper so y'all can write this down. All right. Wait. I need to be recording. Look, somebody recording the call. I need to record the call on my phone because I'm going to have to. Oof. I will suggest that you proceed because it's not like I'm getting ready to find it. I'll say, okay, give me a second. I will go. I'm going to go back in the book. Simply because I'm trying to leave the office to go to another one, so I know I'm going to stop looking. (laughs) Okay. You have the conscious, the fellowship. 
and the intuition? Spirit is comprised of the conscious, the intuition, and the communion. The conscious of what? The conscious, the intuition, and the communion. Mm-hmm. I think somebody just said that, too. There was a gentleman on the line. Right, right. I'm trying to find it in the book. With reference, okay, reference. If you go back in the Old Testament and look at how God made the temple, there were three aspects of the temple. We're made similar to that, and that will help you get a greater understanding. When he made the temple, there were three parts of the temple. Um, I know the Holy of Holies was the innermost part. Only the high priest can go in there. He would only go in there once a year. The outside of that was the uh, where the priests went, and that was the place where they did the sacrifices. Then outside of that is where everybody else basically came. And I forget the, 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 the um, particular definitions. But those three areas, it's the same way we're comprised. In our, uh, we're comprised very the spirit, soul, and body, and even in our spirit man. So I'm trying to find how he really broke this down to give you more of an exact definition, but... Let me go all the way back to the beginning. Spirit, soul, and body. Okay, here we go. And this might be good for me just to kind of review this quickly. Okay, I want to just touch on this. Genesis 2 and 7. And Jehovah God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's Genesis 2 and 7. When God first created man, he formed of the dust of ground and then breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. As soon as the breath of life which became man's spirit came in contact with man's body, the soul was produced. So that's the difference between us and the animals. God created animals, the trees, and everything else, but he breathed his spirit inside of us. He breathed his spirit inside of that master of dust that was on the ground, and we became spirit, soul, and body. Okay? So that's kind of the, the how, you know, why, why we're different from an animal. You see people dying for trees and all that other crazy stuff. We're different. We have a spirit. Now, our spirit, because of the sin, our spirits became dead. When God told him, you'll die, well, okay, Eve saw Adam eat of that apple. I mean, Adam saw Eve eat of the apple. Nothing happened to her. So he wanted he wanted to eat of it, so he ate of it too. And as soon as he did, immediately his eyes was open. Immediately his spirit man died. As soon as Adam, I'm saying apple, but you know I'm talking about the fruit. As soon as he bit into that fruit, immediately his eyes was open and his spirit man died. I'm trying to see, because he brought, I'm trying to give, okay, this is a spirit, well, let me see, I know this might be a lot, okay, I'll just touch on it, and I'll give you the scripture so you can go back, it says, this is dealing with the spirit, it's imperative that a believer know he has a spirit, since we soon, she'll soon learn every communication of God with man occurs there, 
If the believer does not discern his own spirit, he is invariably is ignorant of how to commune with God in the spirit. He easily substitutes the thoughts of emotions of the soul for works of the spirit. Thus he confines himself to the outer realm, unable ever to reach the spiritual realm. So since you've got um, paper and pen, I'm going to give you some verses he's coming out of. 1 Corinthians 2 and 11. First Corinthians five and four, Romans eight and sixteen, first Corinthians fourteen and fourteen, first Corinthians fourteen and thirty two, Proverbs twenty five and twenty eight. Hebrews 12 and 23, Zechariah 12 and 1. I'm going to go over them again and give you the references. 1 Corinthians 2 and 11 says, speaks of the spirit of man which is in him. 1 Corinthians 5 and 4 mentions my spirit. Romans 8 and 16 says our spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 and 14 uses my spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 and 32 tells of the spirits of prophets. Proverbs 25 and 28 refers to his own spirit. Hebrews 12 and 23 records the spirit of just man. Zechariah 12 and 1 states that the Lord formed the spirit of man within him. Okay, um, I might need to read. Excuse me. Uh, Sorry. Um, so, I, well, for me, I'm not sure what everyone else's mindset or thought process is. So, basically, you're saying prior to, um, the fall of Eden, so to speak, with Adam and Eve. Prior to them eating the apple, I mean, Adam eating the apple, you're saying he saw everything, everything was spiritual. Is that what you're saying? The way he uh, did things, the way he spoke, the way he behaved, his mannerism was of a spiritual context. Correct. Think, think about was, how, did, how, did, how did Adam name the animals? Right. And I'm saying it for clarification. No problem. Um, so, okay. So everything about Adam and Eve was spiritual until Adam ate the apple. Correct. Okay, so what would what would one um, be led to believe with Eve convincing him to eat of the apple? Was she still in, still in spiritual context and only listening to that evil spirit? 
Okay, now, I'm, I'm gonna, I talk about this all the time. I'm going to back this up. Um, it said that she gave it immediately to Adam. Adam and no, it says Adam was with her, so Adam was right there. It also says that once they saw that it was that the tree was good for food and a desire. In other words, they had a desire to eat of that tree. So I, I talk about this constantly. They were in the situation of the Garden of Eden. Sin had not yet entered into this world. They were in a perfect situation, but because of their flesh suit, that flesh is on them, they still had a desire to do something contrary to God, what God had told them not to do. So that's, I, I, we need to understand how powerful our flesh nature is. If you're in a perfect situation, sin had not yet entered into the world, but yet still I want to do something contrary, which my father, who, who comes just like me and you might come down and hang out together, he will come down in the cooler day and we'll talk with them. He would hang out with them. He would come out. So that's how they related back then. So in that perfect situation, I still wanted to rebel and do what I wanted to do. So so Adam had a desire for it. Eve had a desire for it. And so she didn't have to convince him of nothing. Once she ate it at, and he saw nothing happen to her, he wanted it too. But because he was deemed, um, I guess as we look at things, as having dominion, it wasn't until he ate the apple. Because he could have redeemed Eve, basically. He could have. Or he could have. Go ahead. He could have, in some, I guess, in some thought process, some manner, we could say that somehow it would not have. Just keep going. I'm just. Go ahead. And even, 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 let's take it even de- deeper than that. He could rebuke the serpent and say, get away from me, God told us not okay. to. Okay. Okay. But he, he had dominion over the animals. Right. Okay. Okay. So basically, and, and I, I'm asking these questions, you know, hopefully they help some other people. Because, you know, I think oftentimes we think a lot of things and we don't verbalize it and we still miss the, the you know, lesson or understanding. Mm-hmm. But with him having that, you know, because God gave him dominion, he gave him that power. Mm-hmm. Okay. It wasn't even just uh, the power, though. It was because if, if, if he hadn't eaten of the tree, if he hadn't eaten, he was the seed. It's, everything is in the seed because when you go, when you look at the, when you look at the creation, he made it so that every everything that has a seed reproduces itself. Wow. So if Adam hadn't ate the apple and it was just Eve, there was there would have been no repercussions behind it. But because Adam carries the seed of the world, he carries the seed of the world. That knowledge that was that was forbidden at that time would have gone into everyone. Mm. And and therefore it did it did go into everyone because he chose to eat the fruit. So now he's re, he reproduced everything 
in his seed. So it's planted now, and there's no way around it. That's why after everything was said and done, God was like, I can't let them have everlasting life as well until we make the corrections, you know, in what has been planted. I'm going to make a lot of women mad right about now. I'm going on mute. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, when you're looking at relationship, because we're still talking about relationship, but when we're talking about um, relationship, you know, we sort of differentiate it between man and woman. When you're looking at relationship in a marriage, oftentimes women can come up with these bright, brilliant ideas that has, you know, that is out of the ark or the covenant of God. And the repercussions basically will not be as devastating as they have a tendency to be if we just honor the person that was put uh, head of the family, head of the household, which is why submission is something that God speaks of in relationship in a marriage because that's what we have to do with God, submit to God. But we live in a day and time where submission is something that a lot of women don't want to hear or adhere to because it is looked upon as um, controlling, not having a say-so. I don't I don't really even say it's the submission, it's the communication. Because I mean, if when you look at the when you look at the whole scenario and in context we know that Adam was standing right there. Not one time did he express his displeasure on the communication between the serpent and Eve. Not once did he rebuke the communication between Adam, between Eve and the snake, not once did he discount what the snake was saying and say, thus says the Lord God. That's why Christ has to come back. And that's the same thing in the relationships that we have now. A lot of times it's not even a submission. It's no communication because the man will see something wrong, but because we're more verbal in, in our you know, in our likes and our dislikes, the man usually doesn't say anything. And so it breaks down where, because the man is more logical where the woman is more, more emotion. So that's where the balance, that yin and yang, is, it comes in. You know, and it's like, okay, if I see it emotionally because I desire it, but logically you know that that's going to be something that's a detriment to me, you don't say anything, then we're both dead. And that's basically what happened. He said nothing. She said everything, and they both ended up in the wrong with making the wrong choice and doing the wrong thing. Come on, shut up. Okay. Mm. Y'all keep talking. Mm-hmm. I know all these women. Y'all go ahead. 
I mean, but you know what the thing is, though? It's, it's, what's, what's really bad is that when this story is taught, it's all put on the woman. But it's not. It, when, when we were created, we were created to be compatible with the man, for us to walk side by side. It wasn't one is stronger than the other, but to, to, act, to, to accentuate each other. You know what I mean? And so for for when you look at the story in context, we did not support each other in this in this going down through time. We don't support each other as we're supposed to. But when you look at the those those marriages that have been together fifty, sixty years, there's always been that support, that give and take. And if you when you sit down and talk to them, they'll tell you, Well, I, I know what my battles are the ones that I really, the thing I really fight for, I'll fight for. But if I, if it really doesn't matter to me, then I'll let that person have its way. It's, it's a give and take. And when it comes to God, it's a give and take. He knows what we want. He knows what we need. That thing that he knows is a detriment to us, he will fight with us for us to make sure that we make the right choice. But we don't do the same thing for him, so therefore... There's this, we make we make irrational choices. We're the emotion, and he's the logic. In this, in that relationship, just like in the marriage, man's the logic, woman is the emotion, and and that's what we're. Those are the examples that he has put before us, so that we know, in context, what the relationship is supposed to be. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish um, this because I got a paragraph, but I'm going to go back and go back into the inner workings. I'm not today, <laughs> but I think it would be beneficial for me to go back and get back into the different parts of spirit, soul, and body. Because, again, I'm not just trying to complete a book. We need to understand this. And, and it's going to take, again, over and over and over again. And like I said, there's a test coming, but the test ain't coming from me because God is having us in this for a reason, and he, you're going to be tested it by him. So, <sighs> a Christian should recognize that feeling is exclusively a part of the soul. When he lives by sensation, no matter what the kind, he is being soulish. During the period that he feels joyful, is loving the Lord, and sensing his presence, he is walking by feeling. Likewise, during the period that he feels just the opposite, he's still walking by feeling. Just as he is soulish, whose life and labor are dictated by refreshing, bright, and joyous sensation, so is he equally soulish, whose <clears throat> walk and work are determined by a dry, gloomy, and painful one. A real spiritual life is never dominated by nor lived in feeling. Rather, does it regulate feeling? Nowadays, Christians make a mistake of feeling for spiritual experience. This is because many have never entered into genuine spirituality and hence interpret happy sensation to be spiritual experience. They do not know that such feeling is still solical. 
Only what occurs in the intuition is spiritual experience. The rest is merely solical activity. It is here that Christians make one of the grossest mistakes of ever. Under the stimulation of emotion, a child of God may feel he has ascended to heaven and naturally assumes that he has, ascended, has an ascended life, but he does not realize this is solely how he feels. He thinks he possesses the Lord whenever he is conscious of his presence, yet the believer, yet he believes he has lost the Lord whenever he cannot sense him. Once more he knows that he know, once more he knows not this is but the way he feels. He thinks he is truly loving the Lord as he senses a warmth in his heart, but should there be no burning sensation, then he concludes that he has variably lost his love for him. Yet again, he is ignorant of the truth that such are only his feelings. We know the fact may not agree with his feeling for the latter exceedingly untrustworthy. Indeed, whether one senses much or senses nothing, the fact remains he is unchanged. He may feel he is progressing and yet may make no progress at all. He may likewise feel he's regressing and yet make not regress in the slightest. These are simply his feelings. Well, full of lively stirrings, he reckons he's advancing spiritually. This, however, is just a time of emotional excitement which soon will subside to its former state. The working of emotion seems to assist solical people to advance, but the working of the spirit causes spiritual man to advance. The progress of the former is false, only was attained by the power of the Holy Spirit is true. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like I said, I'm gonna go back again. I'm you know probably start tomorrow. I'm gonna go back into breaking how he really started breaking down spirit, soul, and body, and the different aspects of that. So that again, we can get an understanding. And you're really not again, you're really not gonna get an understanding until you take and apply what you are hearing and what you're learning. How do I apply that? That's where it comes in a one-on-one with God. You know, I'm reading. Out of a book, I'm saying things out of my mouth, but it's going to f- affect Felicia different, Pam different, the other gentleman on the phone. Everybody's different. See, that's that's the one-on-one working of the Holy Spirit, and that that's your trainer, you know. Because again, to get an understanding of this is what's needed if you're truly going to grow, if you're truly going to get past these things that are holding us back and and and, and kicking our behinds. You know, you you're, you're thinking, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. Who said you can't do that? Your mind. Joyce Meyer was talking about it earlier this morning. Did God say you can't do it? Did your neighbor say you can't do it? Did you say you can't do it? So you you got to get, if you're going to truly go into the deeper things of God, or, or better yet, because I'm going to say it like this, and better yet, it wasn't my desire to go into deeper things of God. It's my desire to get the hell up out of these situations and circumstances that I'm dealing with. That's kind of, I'm saying for me, because some of you all might might not be like me. I'm talking about me. I'm trying to get up out of debt. I'm trying to say this. I'm trying to do this. But God has used all this to train me. So, you know, God God knows how to work with each of us individually. You know, like and like Felicia said, He knows what. Okay, it was beautiful. Never thought of it that way. He, I, I tell you, well, you know what. Yeah, you can watch that movie because it ain't going to affect you that much. But this person over here is going to affect them. Okay, you can go there because that. See, this right here, no, you can't do that because that's going to really knock you off track. See, God knows how we're formed. Like I tell you, you know, some of the, I, don't, I don't care about them scary movies in my house, whatever. I got all this, you know what? I was, I was in the store earlier, and I literally felt a demonic presence. I was like, so... 
I mean, you know, it's, what? What you going to do? You know, what you, you know, so, but again, you God has to grow you up to that point in this walk because those feelings, they'll lead you astray, make you confused. You got, we got enough, we got enough problem dealing with our own feelings, our own flesh, let alone the demonic things. You don't like talking about Adam and Eve and how, how they had a desire to eat of that tree, how that relationship, even then, he should have stopped, but he didn't. So we got a we got a full time job dealing with our own flesh nature, our own soul nature, and then you gonna add the, the the demonic entity aspect to it too. Anyway, I'm done. Anybody else got anything? Um, you were talking about the spirit, soul, and body, and you had referenced the um, the temple. I so I wanted to um, and how the temple is in three parts. And I wanted to just give you the three parts of the temple. And the, um, and the three parts of the temple was the porch, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Okay. And, it, and, it, and, and it's so strange because when you were talking, um, I was, you know, going, I was Googling <laughs> the information. But what's so interesting is, when you when you talk about the spirit, soul, and body, it the three parts always kind of go to that same the same thing. It's the 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 porch is the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're looking at like when you say our body, it's the door. That's our body. Mm-hmm. The porch is our body, and then the holy place. That's our soul. Because the thing is, anything could be holy. You know. Anything could be holy, but it's the holy of holies that is what we're looking at, mm. because the holy of holies is where God is, mm. you know. So a Buddhist can be in a holy place because it's basically just a sacred place, you know, mm. where where you just you know where mm. you say, okay, this is this is the place I set apart. Okay, that's nice. Oh. But when you come, when you talk about the holy of holies, oh. you're going into the throne room of God, the throne room of grace, and so that's why only the priest can go in there. Because I mean, he could go into the holy place and not die. It wasn't until he went into the holy of holies if he wasn't clean and clear and in the right state of mind and in the right, you know, in the right spirit. If he went into the holy of holies, he would die. Mm. And so it's the same way with us. Our porch, our body, okay, that's fine. You know, the holy place, we go into our soul and we're like, okay, we set aside ourselves, that's fine. You know, we meditate on the word, that's fine. But if you're not connected in the spirit of the spirit of Christ, the high priest, the one who sacrificed himself for us, his blood was shed on the altar, all of that, which is what his purpose was, so that we can go into the holies of holies mm. and not die. Wow. So our spiritual, so God, God is awesome. Okay, I'm going to shut up. But it's, that was, that was what I was as you were talking. <laughs> that was what I was talking. So. All right, don't stop. That's how awesome he is. That's how awesome he is. I mean, all these examples that he sets before us. Yes. And, Unfortunately, like when we're on this call, we get it. But then when you ask somebody that is a minister that's ministering in the church, it's like 
explain this to me so I I can get it. So that there's, you know, this, these people are falling away, and it's just like they're falling away because you've told them all this other stuff doesn't matter, and it does because it's all connected. It's all connected. He didn't give us all these all this history for us to just throw it away. They say, oh, just that's not important anymore. Yes, it is important. Everything that he made sure to write in this in this letter of love was important and significant for us to be able to say, okay, this is what he loved. This is what he's looking for. And if we can get to this point, he'll take us to this point, and then we're at the, you know, it's just, it's all connected. That's why we have you. That's why we have Erica. That's why we have this call, because he wants us to get it, spirit, soul, body, praise and worship, the word of God, the you know, the prayers. All of that is connecting us to where he's like, okay, I'm a three-part being. Everything is three parts. And when you connect all those things, you get me. You can't have electricity without having the light bulb and the connectors. It's all three parts. If you miss one, you don't get the other. It's it, they, or they don't work. They're of none effect, correct? So, you know, but, um, yeah, I'm going back. Let me. <clears throat> Anybody else have a comment? So, again, for clarification. <laughs> The three parts of the the three parts of the temple again are what? Oh, the temple. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three parts of the temple are the porch, mm-hmm. the holy place, and, holy and the holy of holies. And so, okay. remember when Christ died? You know, mm-hmm. when he died, the temple that that part of the temple, the curtain was rent. So that let us know that we no longer needed the physical priest to let us go in. That's why he says, enter his course of thanksgiving, you know, enter mm-hmm. his course of praise, because now we can do that without all of the other stuff. We don't have to go to the priest. He's our high priest. Right. Yeah. And I hope the other listeners are, are taking notes, because we will... Um, in some shape, form, or fashion, we will be rerouted right back to this yet again. (laughs) Test? Pop quiz? Is that what you said? Well, I mean... For those of us that are, uh, you know, um, spiritually curious, spiritually inclined and tuned. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, see, because I know you. Why did you pick out of everything else the word curious? Because curiosity, you know, curiosity is one of those behaviors where I want to know, but I really don't want to know. It's like depending on the things that we're talking about, feelings and emotions, 
depending on what day and what time you catch us, oh. I want to know, but then I don't want to. Uh-oh. Mm. Or God is communicating with me, saying that I need to know, but I really ain't feeling this right now. Oh, oh, mm. gut kick. Mm. Bring that knee up. Ah, side kick. And it is really part of who we are. Even when you look at, you know, at us being in a student aspect. I want to raise my hand and ask the question, but I don't really feel like, I don't even know if I don't want to know. I don't know if I want to feel embarrassed in front of everybody else because is this something that I should know and I don't know? Or I don't even want to be in class today, but I'm still on the call. It was so funny that when you said that, that's one of the things that I keep hearing, you know, like from this point, like the, the especially like the last week or two, it's just like this, we need to put a disclaimer, like if you don't want to make any changes in your life, if you don't want to see, what's the word that you usually say, Sam, um, once you know, you can't go back. Mhm. You held accountable. So we, we, need to put, we need to put a disclaimer on every call before somebody listens to the rest of the recording. Like, if you don't want to, you know, because it's like you can't, you can't say, "Well, I didn't know yet," because it was discussed. You know, and and it's like he. Oh my God. Well, you know, and what you're talking about, we, as you know, we have a right to choose. Mhm. You know, and we're in positions now where we can choose to be blind or we can choose to see. Yeah. Would you be talking about Would I be talking about what? Being accountable. Because now once we know it is, you didn't know, so I prefer not to know it all. At least I ain't accountable for it. Right. But the interesting thing about that is you got to be held accountable for even having the awareness that it exists, and you chose to walk the other way. Mm-hmm. Because that intuition that you're talking about, that's part of the spirit, that holy place that you're talking about, you know, God still touches us in these places. He's communicating with us. And, you know, it's and that's that part that we were talking about. Even with Adam knowing the difference and not saying so, because he was still held accountable. With Felicia saying that the story, one of the things about the story not being told or being told that the woman is held at fault, that's what man wants to look at. But again, at the end of the day, Adam was still held accountable. Mm -hmm. 
he was held accountable because he didn't say anything because he was the the um um he was given that dominion he was aware of he knew what God said, and even though he chose not to speak, he was still held accountable, and his choice was the difference in the redemption of the whole situation or what actually took place. So the the point still being your choice, you know, the choices you make or the choices we make, we are still going to be held accountable for them, period. Because we are made aware that there is a better way there, you know, the word of God exists. And even in that curious, uh, that curious state of mind, well, dog, should I or shouldn't I? Well, no, I don't want to because then if I know, then I'm going to be held accountable. Well, guess what? Your, um, Your spirit has already been pricked with the awareness that there is something out there that you need to attain and you still make a decision, do I, don't I, should I, shouldn't I? And you fall into a situation where you will say, dog, I wish I had actually, you know, Followed my intuition. I was, you know, aware that this existed. And I wonder even if I just, you know, went ahead and found out about it, would it have made any difference? Well, guess what? Your whole life, your situation is being held accountable for the lack of action that you chose. Mm. So the truth of the matter is, let's not be confused that it's simply us choosing not to hear the word of God or choosing not to adhere to what we've been told that that is the only way that um, any of this will take place. Just because God has spoken to you in however he has, you know, presented himself to you, there are going to be repercussions or benefits. Can, can, can I say this? Because I want to make sure I, for clarity purposes, as you put this, that God has placed something inside of us spirit, mm. and our intuitive man knows it, but because I didn't allow the necessary processes to go forward from the revelation in my spirit to the knowing in my mind, that is my fault. It's not God. So in my spirit, I have it, uh-huh. but I, I, I still didn't allow my natural mind to receive it, so I still know it, but I just didn't. <laughs> So you're going to live under accountability 
one way or another. Either you rejoice in the spirit or you beat yourself up in mind because you did not follow through with whatever that intuitive thing was. It still falls back on us, period. So it's still my responsibility, and I can't blame it on somebody else. Yeah. Because even when we say it's this, you know, it's something or it's this thing, that means God knocked. You heard it. You chose not to open the door still. Mm-hmm. Same thing about the conversation you and I had yesterday, Sam, after you prayed for me. I like, nah, man, I don't want no nothing else. I'm good. Because <laughs> I don't want to ask God because I know he going to answer me. And then when he answers me, his 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 attitude, so to speak, may be, well, since you asked, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, too. <laughs> so guess what? I still say, yeah, and not, not right now. <laughs> the truth of the matter is I'm still going to be held accountable because when, if I choose to go ahead and ask, or even if I don't ask, because my... I am aware of what the process will be. I'm still going to be held accountable, and it's going to show up in my life, period. Because I was in my right mind when I said, no, I ain't going to ask him. I'm scared what he's going to say. Because I know he's going to say something, and then he's going to add to it. Mm, not right now. So I, I all I'm saying is accountability is not only if you know that you know that you know that you know. Accountability is also in the intuitive phase when um I uh yeah, should I shouldn't I well I think if I well I know is I well God said well no, nah, I ain't gonna do it. That's in, that's still in that middle intuitive stage. You still gonna be held accountable. Because the residual effect of you acting upon it will reveal itself or not acting upon it will reveal itself. It's going to show up in your life. It's going to affect you one way or another. You know what? You said that before, and I think that's one thing we don't get is that if we if we choose or not, Oh, it's still a choice. You you said that for a while it is. now, and I and I I'm like, mm. but you yeah yeah, and we don't we don't get that understanding. Whether you choose or not, whatever right. the result is from that, 
it still will affect us. Yeah. Because it's wow. a choice not to choose. You chose not to choose. And there's still repercussions. Yep. Wow. You wow. study you, you have a test coming up. You make a choice to study. You choose to study, you pass. You don't choose to study and you don't pass. Still a repercussion. I'm even gonna flip it uh, flip it around. You don't, you choose not to study and you pass. And you choose to study and you fail. Hmm. Oh, it happens. I studied for plenty of tests and I'm like, well, wait, what? I. But God had already told me that I need to pray before I study. He 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 has taken me down a path that he revealed to me early on after class number one. You're going to need me to get through this. Because all of this that you've seen, what you've seen so far, there is more to come. And you're going to need me to get through this. Because remember, I shared with you all, when I went through this process after class number one, I said, this is what? BS. These people crazier than they think. And none of this sounds like it is falling in line with what God is directing me to do according to him. This is crazy. That's class number one. So when I chose to study and I didn't seek counsel with him, I didn't pass. There are classes I took that he was with me the whole time. I made sure he was with me the whole time. I didn't have to study for the test, but I passed. So what makes sense to the flesh doesn't always make sense in spirit. And we already know what makes sense in spirit don't make sense to the flesh. So since you chose to study for this test and you did not adhere to what I told you to do, guess what? Now you fail. Let's see when you take the next one if you're going to listen to what I said do. And to carnal mind, 
you studied for the test, so why didn't you pass? Mm. But spiritually, God said, because you didn't do what I said do. I don't care how much you studied. You didn't, you didn't, you know, take me with you. You studied the wrong stuff to take this test. I already told you you're going to need me to get through this process. Mm. You studied all right. You just studied the wrong information. And then take that out to school and put it in in the in the day-to-day. I mean, how many times do we face a test? Our first test is just getting up in the morning. Right. And how many times have we gone, you know, a, a daily we're supposed to go and, and have him direct us. And we would pass every test that we go up against in the day. A test on our patience, a test on our temptations. Every test that we come up against if we have him, you know, if we follow his instructions. Just like you said when you were taking the you know, taking the test for school, it's just like he lets us know if we put him in the midst, in the midst of it, he direct he will he brings to recall to remembrance scriptures, he'll recall to remembrance information that you need to pass a physical test at school. He will do the same thing for us in every other aspect of our life. But if we don't go to him first, then we're basically doing the test on our own. Hmm. Thank you for that, Eric. And that isn't something I think about today. Why, sure. You know, he pretty much told me. You knew from the beginning. Actually, you came to me because you knew that you were going to need my help, but you still decided to go this, this, you decided to try this without me after you told me you needed me. Okay, we'll let you see what happens when you do it without me. We basically use God sometimes as a contingency plan instead of the main plan. If it don't work, or if I if the study if I forget what I study, then I'll pull him out and but Lord, what 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 should this answer be? Because Sam had said before, it's easier to already be in motion. Then I have to start motion. So if we don't start the day in motion with God, how are we going to, how, you know, wow. Mm. Mm. 
Okay, this is getting too heavy today. I'm going to go on. So my question to you, Erica, is how do we make it so that we are putting God first? I mean, I know there's prayer, and I know we read the scriptures and everything. I mean, and that's that's well and good, but as we're going forward in our in our day to day. You know, just like with the children of Israel, after a while we kind of put God, you know, in the back seat and be like, I got this. How do we continue to make sure that we have him, That how can we make sure that we're letting him continue to be the driving force and not ourselves on the day-to-day, the minute-to-minute, the hour-to-hour? How do we do that? One second. She back on the hill, She said just she said just a minute. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I can honestly say that I do not have a foolproof answer to your question, simply because I am still, I guess, a work in progress. I'm still trying to figure it out. And... One no, you're not, you're not trying now. No, you're not trying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, yes, I am. Because one thing I do know, 
I tell you all all the time, it's nothing for Erica to get in the way. And I have to reposition myself on a regular basis. I mean, you just mimic you mimicked me many times before. When um, I said, "Okay, wait a minute, let me get out of Erica," and so I do. I have a tendency to get in Erica, and knowingly, consciously, having to reposition myself to be out of Erica. I'm even at a position now, at a point now, that I know even when I'm communicating with God, when a little bit of Erica is still there, and I have to totally shut Erica off. Because Erica Erica has an opinion, and a lot of times she wants to be heard. And a lot of times Erica just needs to shut up. So for me, it, it's it's been multiple things because it's still uh, every day that I breathe, it's a lesson that I have to learn. And every day that God reveals something to me, there's something new or additional that's added to the mix. So, like you said, it you know yeah we know about prayer. Um, we know about supplication. We know about um, submitting. We know about committing. And oftentimes it takes a combination of all of that with shutting down, shutting off, going to a sacred place that I can just, you know, where it's just me and God communicating outside of fellowshipping with other people that I can really hear him. And probably he sometimes he requires that I go to these sacred, secret places where it's just me and him, and not only I not have interruptions, but he don't have any either because he wants to make sure that I hear him loud and clear. And there are times when I'm amongst other people that his the message is so resounding that I have no other choice. You know, there's no reason, uh, you know, that I will get confused or mixed up. But there are a lot of times where he has to sit with me, you know, when he has to say, do you really understand what I'm saying to you? So there is, I, and maybe this is Erica too. I don't think it's always one foolproof way for anyone. Be just because of the different experiences that um, he has, you know, that he has us live our lives through. There may be some ways that uh, some of us can consistently hear his voice and hear from him. But I do believe that he requires, um, you know, multiple things to, you know, intertwine with one another that, you know, whatever that lesson is, 
be heard or be told. Because, you know, one thing that we have learned and realized, I mean, even in in the life of Jesus Christ, that he had a lot of opportunity where he was amongst people. But he had, you know, those experiences as well, that he went to the wilderness and that he had to be by himself. Even though he took some of the, you know, before he was crucified, even though he took some of the disciples with him, to the Garden of Gethsemane, they were. He he asked them to stop at a certain place, at a certain point, and be watchful while he went further into. So I think he definitely takes us through different experiences because there are times when we have to be more in tune. And so for Erica, you know, what works or what has worked this time or that time is not always what works because he adds additional things, you know, to my plate that he's asking me to utilize. And that was that was really that was so profound what you said though because you know that that's one thing that when you listen to ministers they make it seem like it's one set pattern but like you said there's different you know it has to be different it has to because there is there's no such thing as a cookie cutter one you know this is it and that's all. That the all right. out, you know, and uh, and people get discouraged because when you when they read the book of this minister or they hear the the, the teaching of this pastor and and they follow the 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 the, the guidelines that they set forth point by point and they don't receive the, the outcome that they're expecting, they get discouraged and they blame God. But based on your response, it's it. You know, and, and that and, and it for me it touched my it 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 renounced with my spirit. Like no, there is no one way. There's one way to God that's through Christ, but there's 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 no one way of of this walk because your experience is different than my experience. So He is like water. He flows through each and every one of us, different based on you know based on how we are. Spirit, soul, and body. Huh. Right. That's why we cannot compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Right. And, and, oh, amen, amen, amen. Because a lot of times we want, some of us want, you know, some of us want what Sam has, but a lot of us don't want to go through what Sam went through to get what he has. No, I'm good. Um, I'm good. Right, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Matter of fact, Sam wish he hadn't had to go through what he went through to have what he had. But, you know, that's what happens when we're on the outside looking in and we do not allow that intuition that we have to take us any further or we don't choose 
to allow intuition to move us beyond what our current understanding is or limited understanding. Because as we all know, it doesn't matter. I mean, well, I don't want, you know, no matter, let me say it that way, no matter how much we learn, our knowledge will never get to the point to where God is. Regardless of how profound wisdom that we have, we're not going to be as wise as God is. But should that hinder us from seeking knowledge and wisdom? No, it should not. Because one thing that we know as every round goes higher and higher, there is so much out there for us to know and learn. And as we go deeper in Christ, what we understood in the beginning, we now understand that it's so much more beyond what we thought it would be by accepting Christ as our personal Savior. But because God knows, he knows how much it can be, that's why he's given us a choice. Do understand, you can choose not. There are repercussions for that. You can choose to. And there are things you have to adhere to with that. So don't don't ever think that even if you choose not to be under the auspices of Jesus Christ, that your life is going to be easy either. Because Satan got some, ooh, I almost said it. Satan got some stuff for you. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, there are layers to spirituality whether you choose Christ or you choose Satan. They are layers, and it goes much deeper than what we see on the surface. And it goes much deeper than what some people are willing to express or share with us. The main reason I told Sam, good morning, the reason I told Sam yesterday, and I ain't going to ask Christ because, you know, this is in Erica. Do understand this is Erica talking. Like, man, I got to prepare my mind for this. Can you really prepare your mind for this? But because God knows me and I know he knows me so well, he probably like she tripping again. There she go with that crazy stuff. <laughs> because there is no preparation that we can go through for what God has for us other than us saying that, God, I trust you. God, I, I will follow you. And he will prepare you while you're in the midst of. Yes, you will. Because if he was to show us all of the tools and snares 
that are, you know, that we will experience in our journey, in our walk. How many of us won't walk? Me? Because he's not going to show you how you're going to get through them until you choose to trust. And nine times out of ten, when, you, when you're choosing to trust and have that faith, it is really when it's upon you when God will carry you through it. What you're saying, um, if I may speak, I mean, if I, I don't want to interrupt because I don't exactly know. Erica? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to interrupt you, sweetie. You go ahead. Okay. Because that was pretty good. I'm about to pass the collection plate over your way in a minute. Well, you know, pass to everybody first, then pass it to you. <laughs> um. It just reminds me of uh, when Juanita Bynum, I was listening to her the other night as I was going to sleep. And she was saying that, you know, when she goes around and she speaks and everything, that, you know, people see um, her face, you know, all over the... I'm really talking to somebody for real. I'm not talking to myself this time. Okay. I'm sorry. Am I taking it? I don't know. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I I talk to myself probably more than a lot of people, and and I have my Bluetooth in. So my cousin came in, and she's looking at me because I'm just talking, and her eyes got so big, like, oh, God, she snapped, Um, thinking I'm talking to myself. Um, But she, she was saying she goes to different places, and she speaks, and, you know, people see her all over the place, speaking here, speaking there. And, you know, she's so eloquent and her messages are so powerful and she speaks in front of audiences of thousands and thousands of people. And she's in good with all these famous preachers and she's all over the world. And and she says that, you know, they want to be like her. Or, you, you know, they say things, you know, I, I wish I could be where you are and how do I get where you are and how do I get to that point and, you know, I want to. I want to be like you. And she said, "No, you think you do. Do you think you want to sit up here in this pulpit, in the front, you know, in these chairs up here? But you have no idea what it takes to get here. You have no idea what happens when you get up here." She said, "When you're up here in the forefront like that." You get lied on. You get mistreated. You know, half the time you got to wonder people trying to poison you. You know, people all in your business. People wish death upon you. People, um, you know, they're just, they're horrible to you. you. And she said it's lonely up here because people only want to be around you because of who you are in terms of fame. But they don't know and don't care who you really, really are. They don't know that you're a real person underneath that. And then she was saying that like to get to that level, if you are really spiritual and not a fake, that the trials and the tribulations that you have to go through, most people can't take them because you, you can't um you can't get there to that point 
be that visible and speak to people like that without having to go through some serious, 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 serious grooming. And that means, you know, larger, much larger trials and tribulations. So, Erica, what you were just saying reminded me of when she was saying that um, that people see the end result, but they have no idea, no idea what it takes to get there. Like the overnight success that took 25 or 30 years, you know, that kind of thing. And if we actually have any sense of humanity, <laughs> we don't want people to suffer like we have. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, oftentimes the story be told, we don't hear about the bumps and bruises and the scrapes and scratches that one has endured just to get to where they are. So we want it to be understood that there are some things you will have to deal with, you know, <clears throat> um, on your journey. Um you know, I just pray that, you know, you are not as hard-headed as I was and that you have to, you know, learn those lessons in the manner which I did for whatever reason. You know, that is so, it, it's just, I, when I think about stuff like that, it's always so funny to me because, <clears throat> you know, when I think about myself and I please. I haven't. I don't know why anybody would look want to be like me. But you know these young girls and stuff. They just think I have it so together. Like, oh my goodness, you know you're such a good teacher. You're such a good. Teacher. And I just look at them like, dude. <laughs> oh, you just don't know. It just seems like nothing shakes you. Mm. Mm. Okay. And I just smile and I just talk to them and, you know, help them with school and, you know, try to build up their confidence and motivate them and stuff and all of that. And but you just don't know. I just look at them. I, I just smile. Like you just have no clue. You just have no clue what it took for me to be able to to get here. And I don't even know where here is, but the point is that – um people on the outside, of course, uh, they're connecting with what they want to be. They're, they're, they're looking. They're looking for hope. It's the hope, and it goes back to the hope again. They're looking for the hope in someone else that their situation will get better, that they will improve. This person made it. This person is this now. This person has this. This person is like that now. You know, so they're so they're looking they're looking for the hope. They see it, and that, but that's all. You know, outsiders, not people close to us, but outsiders. That's what they see, and they like <coughs> want the hope. And the but truth of the matter is, mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, it can be done. Again, your path is not my path, and our advice should be that. You can do all things through Jesus Christ. You have to adhere to him, and you have to listen to him. Because the truth is, I didn't follow the roadmap precisely. That, uh, Believe it or not, that's why I got the bumps and bruises and the scrapes and scratches. My advice to you 
and my, as well as my prayer is, I mean, my, you know, and encouragement as well is that you can do all things through Christ. Whatever it is that you desire, whatever it is that you want, is there for you. And I have to use the operative word, but you have to adhere. You have to commit. You have to, you know, surrender. You have to follow God's lead. It is when you decide to walk outside of the auspices of God and walk on your path that you may endure some uncomfortable things. But if you walk, you know, walk in God's path, you'll be able to do it with the least amount of scratches possible. I didn't say none or no scratches, but you'll be able to do it with the least amount of scratches and the least amount of struggle. Mm. And may I add that as you're going through those scratches and struggles, that's what will keep your mind. If you're walking that way, that's what will keep your mind. Because your mind has to be kept while you're going through things, while you're going through your trials and tribulations. Your your mind has to be kept. It, it does. It has to be stayed on. It you. has to be. It has to be. It has to be. It has to be. It just has to be. Whether you understand it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think it's fair or not, it has to be stayed there. Because once the mind goes, once the mind goes, once the mind goes, that's it. That's why. And Peter again is an example of that. This morning, beautiful lady. Good morning. In in addition, and just listening to you all, and I've been listening for a minute. With those bumps and those bruises, you got to realize those are the thorns that's in our flesh, but then his grace is sufficient. So therefore, you got to know that you still can do it through Christ, well, who strengthened us. You can do all things. You can come with those limbs because you got to realize um, even though we, we got these little bumps and these bruises, those are our learning lessons. And we have to sometimes reflect on those learning lessons so we can know what not to do and how to handle our business better so that we can go on and make it and do those things and know that Christ has already given us the grace and the mercy to make it, even though we have those bumps and bruises. Amen. And then I think, too, um, is that we, we have to stay legitimize it, if you will. They legitimize us. For instance, um, I don't want some, you know, you can't tell me, you know, let's say we're talking about alcoholism. You know, I'm hard-pressed to listen to somebody. If I weren't, I mean, I'm not, but if I were an alcoholic, I don't know how much I want to hear somebody, you know, who's never been an alcoholic tell me how to get through. Because how the heck do you know? Right. It's not something you read in a book. You know what I'm saying? Like you can give me, you can be in school and learn some some strategies and some tools. You know, maybe you learned this school, but I mean, as far as really, 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 what do you do when the craving hits? What do you do when you, you know, are are stressed and you feel like that's what you want? If you've never been through it, if you've never been through it, then how do you really know? Or, you know, um. I mean, this is it's a whole host of things. You know, like with, with teachers in the classroom, if you never had to manage a classroom, how how you going to tell me how to manage a classroom? 
like if you've never done it. You know, and those those trials and those tribulations, they do prepare us because we don't know a lot of times ahead of time what we're going to have to deal with or who we're going to have to deal with or what our ministry is. And so, you know, one thing that I really love is that our trials and tribulations are specific to us. He puts us through a test. You know, if I'm trying to be a teacher, I'm not going to take the MCAT. What do I need to take a test to go to nursing school or doctor school for if I'm going to be, you know, a classroom teacher? Or the police officer test, you know, if I'm going to go into nursing. You know, the tests that he gives us are very specific and germane to what he knows our ultimate calling and destiny is. So, um, you know, it, it, it does, it legitimizes you in terms of what your ultimate calling will be. If you don't go through anything, how can you minister to somebody else other than just paying lip service? How? But would it be lip service if <clears throat> is it lip service if it's scripture? Because it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you have somebody who was bought up on scripture and they believe in the scripture, spirit, soul, and body from Genesis to Revelation, and God is working through them, and because of that faith that they had, they didn't do, I mean, they've gone through, their life has been, in your eyes, it might be where their life is easy, but when they minister to you, they're ministering to you from the truth of the word. So if they're ministering to you from the truth of the word, and you know that they've been through nothing that you've gone through, would you still reject it? Because the thing is, we the reason why we go through is because of the choices that we make. And and because now that we're saying, okay, I'm going to live for God, the enemy doesn't like that. Sam says it all the time. The enemy doesn't like that. So he's going to throw everything at us, everything and the kitchen sink. Not both, but and the kitchen sink. And then he's going to throw the house, the church, the school, the bus, the tank, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He's going to continue to throw stuff at you for you to go back to where you were before because that means he's lost another one to the one person that he's he's fighting with. So, I mean, and, and, and it's like because you, I've seen, I've seen 13-year-olds who, have taken the word of God and ran with it. And when you hear them speak and they're speaking from the word of God, it's like they're grown people. But because we say they've been through nothing, we discount it, but they're still speaking wisdom. Maybe not wisdom from the perspective that we're looking from, but if we look beyond their age, and, and actually listen to the God that's speaking through them, they are actually speaking what we need to hear. Because he, he will speak through anybody who's willing to speak his word. But it's up to us to be receptive because he'll come, he'll come through children and fools, and we have to be willing to hear. That's why he says we have to be able to discern his voice. 
Because the enemy will say, have us thinking, well, they're too young. They ain't been through nothing. I just thought, well, that person has money. How can they tell me about being poor or struggling? Or that person has a whole lot of friends. How they how they got to tell me about being lonely? You don't know what they know. It could be, because the thing is, even scientists, and this is also taking a religion, taking a relationship with God out of it, taking taking Christianity out of it. Even in the scientific world, they base all their things not just on not just on experience, but on observation. So if if they look back and they see they they look at three different three different they have three with the um what is it they call it, the placebo, and they use the actual thing, and then they use the alternative, and they see how all these three things work. And based on observation, they can tell you what works and what doesn't. But did they go through it? No. So the same thing with going through this, going through the, the, the life of Christ, going through this whole walk with God, we don't have to actually deal with it. You might find somebody and you and you witnessed their life and it looks like they've always had a one rating. Like the the money's always been right. They've always been, you know, they had the two point five kids. They had the marriage and the, the, the white picket fence and all that. Living the dream that you are that you've gone that you want, and they try to give you. Um, encouraging words, or they try to give you, um, you know, an opinion or a suggestion, and you and and we bat it away because we see that their life has been perfect, so they can't tell me anything. But based on their observations, they can they have, observations are so much more sometimes than experience because therefore they have a um, what is the word, Lord? Um, because they were affected by it, they can tell you what they saw better than somebody who's been through it, and they can tell you how they felt. And that goes back to that logic and emotion, because emotions make us, you know, I can tell you, oh, I've been there where, you know, a man did me wrong, and, and thus is so, and he was, the, and, and then I'm going into my emotions before I can bring you the word of God, before I can bring you encouragement. But if someone who has sat back and observed how relationships failed and observed how good relationships are, they can tell you from a logical standpoint, without the emotions, and therefore they're giving you a clear, concise, information, not bottled, not convoluted with all the other stuff that will that that now you gotta sift through it. So it's cleaner, it's crisper, it's it's pure in so many ways than than somebody who's gone through it from by experience. And that's 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 just that's just me, my opinion. Well, I was listening to you. Um, well, can a person tell somebody about certain situations and circumstances of not going through it? Yes and no. You said something about uh, faith comes by hearing him by the word of God, but then the Bible also tells you that faith without works is dead. 
I mean, what it boils down to is it has to be the anointing or the power of God. Why can't a 13-year-old preach without uh, 20-something years of life experience? For one, he's more open, and the power of God. If a person will react to the power of God one way or another, accept or reject, if it's truly the power of God. And the power of God will break through things. And again, we accept or reject. You're saying it's right, but it, it, it's a lot more to it. And, and, and you know, why, you know, because bottom line, I can tell you advice which might be correct, but it's still of none effect because it's, it's head knowledge, not spiritual knowledge. In other words, I'm telling you what I see and what I understand. Holy Spirit did not tell me to tell you that, so that's Samuel Farley telling you this. It's really, okay, it's, okay, it's, it's, it's knowledge. But when the Holy Spirit speaks through me and tells you something, then that's God talking to you. And, again, you either accept or reject. So those are the differences about life experience and people, you know, dealing with things that, you know, it's like, I mean, it's like so many different facets and levels. But, again, as we're studying learning about, if it's not originating from the spirit of God, then that fleshly carnal or solical, and that is not of God. Why would it have to? Okay, so my question is this. Just because, okay, I've never been through a divorce. I've never been married. But based on my observations and conversations, I can tell you why marriages have broke down. And so if we're in a conversation and we're talking about your marriage or a marriage in general, and based on my observations and without me having actually experienced it, but because I can say I can do a reference point, why wouldn't it be, why wouldn't my input be just as valid as somebody who's going through the same thing? I'm not saying that it's not. I mean, see, if if somebody's walking in wisdom, what what's the purpose of wisdom, of mentoring, and all these other things to learn from somebody else's mistake? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm saying, no, you're correcting that. Are you correct? And you, and again, you can give some, you can give some, you can give some very good knowledge. You can give some very good direction. I'm just making a distinction between when you're giving it and when God is flowing through you giving it. That, that's basically all I'm saying. You know, and see, if God's flowing through you, mm-hmm. see, like you said, God God talked to an ass, a donkey, whatever. God can flow through anybody to get somebody's attention and make that person receptive. But it's a difference between when God's flowing and speaking through somebody than when we're doing it. That, that's all I'm trying to, you know, get to the, get to understanding that, to knowing the difference from when God's doing something, using somebody, and somebody is yielding to his presence and allowing the power of God to flow, then that person, I'm just trying to get you to see a point. I'm trying to make, you know, let you know something, you know, and also depends on the situation and circumstance. Every conversation does not mean it has to be a God conversation. God speaking, you know, we can just be basically talking and it just, you know, whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's all different. As, again, I say it's all different aspects of that. That's why we can't just... Label it or say 
things, you know, it's a hard, concrete thing when in all actuality it's not. I I agree. I turned the wrong way. Um, I agree. I I was just saying. I don't think I wasn't saying that. Um, you know, like there's no no circumstance under which a person can help if they haven't gone through it. I mean, surely there are some because you know. I mean, I you know there's some things that are universal. You, you know what I mean? Right. Like you can tell somebody, you know, no matter what you're going through, keep your hand and God You know, I mean, that's universal no matter what the situation is. You don't have to be in that particular situation to, um, you know, to be able to tell someone that and to say it from the heart and to say it spiritually. But, um, you know, I, there are reasons why, um, you know, in certain circumstances people want someone who has had experiences in certain areas to counsel or to be, you know, in charge of a certain ministry. You know, for instance, uh, case in point, case in point, um, you're not going to put a single person over the married person's ministry. You know what I mean? Like you're not, you're not going to do that. Because how do you know? You never, you never been married. You can know the fundamentals, things that you should do, things that you shouldn't do, things that will probably be disruptive or destructive, and you read the word and you know what it says about marriage and all that, but, you know, what do you know about when things get difficult in a marriage? Or, you know what I'm saying? So, like, they don't put single people over the, the married people's ministry. You know, think, situations like that, that's all I'm saying, is that some, some situations are... Are, um, it's, it's helpful if the person has had experience in the area. It's interesting that you that you use that particular analogy because um, someone who is um, is Catholic when she when she got married and they you know had the counseling beforehand and you know the priest is talking about you know, the wifely duties and, you know, and so on and so forth. And when she came out, she was like, how are he going to, you know, talk to me about something he has no experience in? You know, because, you know, modern-day priests have, have never been married. And so, you know, mm-hmm. to give counseling on that and to, you know, to talk about um, the intricacies of it, you know, was, was totally lost on her because it's like you, you can't even – Fall back on experience, you know, and I think a lot of times with the um, what really throws people off when they're talking about something that they have no direct experience with is when they use the phrase, I know how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that really, you know, like gets to people because, you know, if you never experienced it, then how in the world do you know how I feel? You know, it, it 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 it's kind of insulting. Well, you know, I I, I would segue just food for thought. I, I still have to do some uh, studying and processing on what I'm getting ready to say. But I want you to know that um, it, it it's a combination because I can have experience 
in a certain area with not having the experience of that certain thing. I will still be able to, you know, through God, I will still be able to provide you information and, you know, uh, direction how to assist and avoid certain things. And I believe one of the things that God wants to teach us is that we need to have an ear for his word. Because let's just be honest, we do know, and and I'm, you know, I will be fair about this. We do know that Jesus Christ was born of the Spirit, but he was not married. He was not hungry. He was not an alcoholic, and he can give you all that information. He can guide, direct, and lead you um, and provide everything that you need to know that you can survive Um, without it, or if you have experienced it, that you can survive and get out of it. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about, though in theory is correct, a lot of what we're saying comes from that feeling and emotion thing that we're talking about. When we're talking about being offended, because how dare you feel that you have <clears throat> the gall to tell me about something you've not experienced. But God is trying to deliver us from our feelings and our emotions so that we can connect closer to him. Now, on the other side of that, um, well, I'll say it in the same vein, it soothes the carnal side, it soothes the flesh to know that I can really deal with the person who um, I can hear or I'm willing to give ear to a person who's experienced some of the things that I'm talking about. They say the same thing about Steve Harvey. He's not a relationship expert. Well, you know, he feels that he has been through enough or experienced enough things in relationships that he can provide advice. And some people adhere, you know, hear him. That's just a just something I wanted to throw out there. But I think the biggest message that I'm trying to get us to um, see is that <clears throat> it is not always as cut and dry as we're trying to verbalize it. A person with the experience in divorce is not always going to be the best person to advise us on anything because it, it, whether you have experienced divorce or not and you are not um, adhering to God, they can still lead the listener astray. Mm-hmm. They can still misinform. Good afternoon, the listener. Yeah, so, I think it's a matter of what did of of not just going through it, but what did you learn? You know, did you learn from it, or what did you learn from it? And I want I want to even change, take you know, um, I want to even you know sort of tweak what you just said. What is what did God teach you from this? Because see, my lesson learned, if it's not from God, may not be beneficial to you.
May I add this? And this is just a real life situation that I've endured. And I know when I was living in Jersey, and we stayed in this three family flat, there was 21 of us in the house. And probably out of the 21, there was probably a total of probably about six or seven minus the kids, adults. I wouldn't even say six or seven. One, two, three. About four of us adults who did not participate in the activities of drugs. And, you know, and the thing is, I, I could sit back and, I, and, and as you all talk and I see and I reflect all the immorality that went on for those who used the crack cocaine, the pedo, who shot the drugs up in the arm and all those things like that, how they were so promiscuous with their lives, even to the fact, although they're family members, they even went into that type of relationship with the family members, you know, because they were all doing the same thing. They was walking the same path. And in that light, that showed me just by sitting back and observing and looking at the behavior and the mannerism of all those people right there, no, I don't want that. No, I don't need that. No, I don't need that. No, I don't need that. So I could somewhat talk about the fact of what the harms and the effects and some of the cause effects of, of being an abuser of the alcohol, what it does to or, or, or drugs do to your body. You know, even though they were brother and sisters, they still felt like they were they were so close enough where uh, where and I think it's just absolutely nasty where they even did whatever they do with what what uh, uh, a normal person who 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 were dating would do. You know, even down to messing with their own children. So the thing is, sometimes we can walk a path or see a situation and, and and learn from that situation and not actually experience it. You see what I'm saying? Because we don't. Every lesson, like I say, every lesson don't have to be a bought lesson. I can sit back and I can look at your situation and I can and, and that can help me to walk a different pathway. So that's just my little thing. I'll take on that little portion there. And, and even then, with and, your with your story, Arthur, what I think one of the uh, messages that I was trying to uh, allow us to hear is that though you did not experience it via, you know, um, doing the that act, you know actively being involved, but you did experience it because you were in the environment. In the environment. In so the environment. experience is not necessarily always that you per- were a participant, is what I'm really saying. Right, right. That's what I was so saying. the you degree of the experience, the d- d- degree of experience is, you know, can be questionable. And because you were able to witness your experience of being in the environment and, you know, seeing what went on around you gives you some degree of um, experience where you can, you know, actually advise a person because you saw what the residual effect of using those types of drugs were. You didn't right. feel them per se, but you witnessed what it does to people. 
And so exactly. I just want us to just be aware of the degree of one's experience um, does not, you know, just because one has not actually been divorced. The, it, a divorced a person or a child that grew up in a home where their parents divorced can provide you information, can provide you advice based on their degree of experience as to how things took place and what effect it can have on individuals. Just because they were not the person actually going through the divorce themselves does not mean that, you know, it's for naught. Whatever advice or information they can contribute is, um, you know, not good. Right. Because I can tell you about divorce all day long. I've been divorced. But I can tell you all three of my kids can tell you about divorce all day long because they lived it. Yeah, how to hurt, how they felt, how they felt, whether they were pro for it or they didn't like it or whatever. You know, because of simple fact, they actually endured it. You don't know what right. emotion they actually how it affect them emotionally, but tell them I'm so sorry if our divorce caused them to be hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and and to be totally honest, and to be totally honest with you all, I'm, I can say that my divorce probably affected my kids more adversely than it did me. Amen. Amen. And you know what? And I can hear that, Erica, because I know my father and my mother were about to get a divorce, and I and and, and at the time, my mother would have been in her right to have left him, to leave him, and she did not go through it because I'm talking about I boohooed, I cried, I kicked, I squawked, I did all those things because I looked at the fact of my friends who who were. Who had, who comes from a broken home where the family, mother and father, divorced. And I didn't want to go through that. Mentally, although they didn't go through it, the initial, the initiation or the thought of the conversation of it, like it took me down through there. It really did. It affected me so bad. So my mother stayed into it just for Tina and my sister, my sister Ella and Diana's sake because we were just, torn with the thought of them not being together. But then in the same token, we um, went back and, 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 and didn't realize that we was causing more hurt for her just to stay in that relationship because she endured a lot of heartache, a lot of pain for just trying to stay in there for the kids. And when I, mm-hmm. and, 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 and as I became more and more aware and are more tour, shall I say, you were doing more harm and damage for your to yourself than you would than you would have if you had been divorced. Because mm-hmm. even though you know, if, if people realize, or people say, "Well, then I come from a broken home. My father wasn't there." Blah 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 blah. But what? But but what about when your father is there, but he's still absent? Hello. That's a hurting thing, y'all. When your father is still in the household and he is still absent, even those 
who knew me and, and, and went to school with me, such as Erica and, and, and all those at Stillman, my father was there, but he was absent. And even when I walked on the campus, he was absent. He was still missing. And you don't know, they don't even know how that hurt because we never even got into that type of, of course, we wasn't at this level right here. Your father in the house with you, you're matriculating this school. Your father worked there. You see this man, and he is still missing out of your life. Oh, my God, this is, I feel the pain now in my heart. But, again, because of your degree of experience, you can still communicate or advise a person going through divorce even though you because were not going through the divorce, you were not the one actually, you know, you are not the person who div- would be divorcing your father. Right. So, I, so I, you know, it, go ahead. And just like he called yesterday, a day before yesterday, whichever day it was, I don't know, you call it all the time anyway, because he had nobody been, within the last couple of days, we hadn't gone over to the rehab. Oh, y'all glad I ain't there. I said, what you mean? You hadn't called. You hadn't come. You hadn't do la, 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 la. And then since you're talking about this, and we and we on this subject, in the back of my mind right now as we speak, now you see how I feel. But to feel left alone or left off, being ostracized or put off. And the sad part about it, in that situation where we were going through you're supposed to be a deacon in the church at that time. And you're supposed to be basically right up under the, the, the pastor. And then you're taking care of another family in the church when your family is being neglected. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and, and, and that's what I'm, and, and that type of, this type of, you know, uh, situation is just what I was talking about. That um, we were, you know, for you know, I think it was Lisa um, who had made the comment at the time. Even when you're advising people, and I think it was a combination of Lisa, hello, and uh, Felicia, when you're advising people of the steps that you take, or advising the them of steps that one should take in. Um, I guess elevating yourself above what man sees, what man expects. Even when, you know, when we're walking with Christ, knowing what we know from our understanding, knowing what we know from our experience, I still wouldn't advise people to do it my way because my the thorns in my side, the scrapes and the bruises are definitely from my walk. And though you see me as I may appear to be shining like gold, believe me, hi, hey, I went through something to get to this point. And I'm not saying that you have to go through these same, you know, bruises and scratches that I've gone through. And actually, my prayer is that you don't, because 
in all honesty, it's a lot of things that I've been exposed to and experienced that I'm, you know, I wonder how I survived, you know, to a degree, but I'm very thankful to God that I did. But I would never wish that on my worst enemy. So even knowing what you what you've experienced and what you know from your situation, hey, your if you were you know really in Arthur, now you know how it feels. You know what we you know you have an idea of what we felt when you you know did what you did. But again, would that be something that you would wish on someone else? That's you know. That's trying it, it, to figure out how you've, you know, come through. It, and you know what? I'm so glad you asked that question because that was going to come up in my next statement. And as a, re- as, as a result, the after effects, because you know, for, as the laws of physics say, use for every action, there's an equal but opposite reaction. And now I'm left behind trying to mend the, up the broken pieces that you mm-hmm. left. Mm. I'm I'm trying to clean up what you could what should have been done and completed fifteen, twenty years ago to make it all right to see because I'm so 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 yeah about yeah at least about fifteen years ago the the ends that should have been already complete and tied together. I'm trying to Mend up those pieces because the simple fact you took of the you robbed from your household one that you made the covenant stood before God and made a vow a covenant to be with this person that provided to take care of for them. You took your ends and you you built somebody else's house, and now our house is left dangling. We still got some ends to tie up and to mix up together. So we don't realize that our sins trickle down onto our children, and then our children's children, and then our children's children. Depends on to what degree we have. We we would have made a blunder of the mess. So we have to be careful. And I can tell anybody this now, especially those with young kids right now, because you know all of us are adults. Be careful of your actions because your children might be paying for your sins. Those generational curses, so to say. You know that is so true. I mean, you are. I'm focusing right there. I go back. You are absolutely right. You are so right because um. Yeah, but you know what? Because I'm listening to you. And uh, Arthur and I'm just I can hear the pain in your voice. I can hear it, like I hear it, and I, and I know, man. Ooh, I holy, I know, man. I'm fighting back the tears in here at, at, at 48 years old right now. I'm still, I'm trying to hold back the tears just by even thinking and talking about it. I know, I know, because they somebody told me. You're not supposed to spend. It, there's something wrong when you're spending your adulthood recovering from your childhood. There's something wrong with that. You're not supposed to spend your adulthood recovering from your childhood. But see, a lot of that too is 
is because we are waiting for those who who did not do things the way they were supposed to do. Subconsciously, we're waiting on them to acknowledge and say they're sorry. We're waiting on them to acknowledge and apologize. We're waiting for an explanation. But can I tell you a secret? It's something that may never come. It may never come. And that's where we have to we have we have to um suck it up and say, Hey, this is something that just may never happen. We may never get that. And this praying and God, how do we cope with that apology, that explanation, acknowledgement? What about when it never comes? Because that's part of the healing. The person that can help heal you is the person who caused the damage. But a lot of times, that's a call order for people, and it's never going to happen. So then that's when we just have to figure out how to get over it with God's help so that we can move on. Otherwise, it will visit upon our children. It absolutely will. Absolutely. And I know. I know. I just just now am getting right. I'm 43. I'm just now getting right within the past three years. I'm some foolishness. And that's why God says we have to forgive. I mean, because exactly. it's, nowhere does he nowhere does he say that the person that we're forgiving is going to acknowledge their wrongdoing, and it's the forgive and the forgiving forget. Lord help. Um, okay, because here's the thing: when we hold on to those that feeling going to the teaching that, that Sam has been, um, you know, the last week or so, when we're dealing with our feelings, with our emotions and everything, especially when it comes to our parents, is we will not, like Lisa said, we will never get, we'll never get that acknowledgement that we were in the midst of that situation. Especially for our generation. Right. Right. I mean, especially for our generation because it was always, you know, um, it's not the kids. The, the kids, we were we were outside entity to them. Where for Erica, she knows that the kids were involved. And it's like each, you know, as the generations get younger and younger, you know, like my daughter, she she even knows now, like how the whole parent structure is and, and how everything is affected. But with our parents, Arthur and Lisa, you know, they were just like whatever happened between them happened between them. We were not, you know, as long as they provided for us, as long as, you know, we had roof, food, clothes, whatever happened between them was between them. And they never took into account that it was affecting us. And therefore, whatever conversations and whatever disagreements they had, even though at some point we were hurt, we were affected, they don't see it that way. And they will never see it that way. Because to this day, my dad says it was between him and my mom. It had no bearing on us. It, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even be, you know, we shouldn't even feel a certain way about it. So for me to even 
get a, an apology out of him never came. Never came because he said he did nothing wrong. So now, who? What am I forgiving? That was my question. What am I forgiving if he says he did nothing wrong, and I'm still I've felt this way since I was young. Now I have to say, okay, this is what God meant by you have to forgive, because that person will never. But what that person is going on with their life and going on in their in their existence, thinking that everything that they've done has been a hundred, and that any animosity, any hurt feelings that you have are misplaced. Mm. And so now, how do you get how do you get reconciliation? Because you have to forgive. Okay, you know what I see that this has happened. I'm going to make it personal. So it took me, my son is going on 10. So the last 10 years have been nothing but reconciliation between me and my dad. So from the age of 16 to 32, I didn't hardly ever say one word to my dad. Even after my daughter was here, she went with my nieces to go down for the summer, but I would the most I could say to my dad was, hi, how are you? And that's it. Mm. No conversations, no nothing. It took my son to come, and um, the year that I was pregnant with him, my dad stepped up to the plate out of everything. And my sister had been working on me. I had, I had finally given my life back to Christ and everything. And he was showing me that even in in the midst of everything, my dad was clueless. And I even had to, I I even got up the nerve to actually talk to him, and I told him how I felt. I was like, you know what? I said to you know the way you treated my mom, I thought was very disrespectful. You know, you hurt me, da 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 da, this and that. And he said, it had nothing to do with you. Point blank in my face. Had nothing to do with you. I don't see how you heard, got hurt from it. Yes, yeah, and I and I hear you. I hear you. I hear. You. And you know what? And it's mm-hmm. sad that they feel like they don't see. They can't look beyond the scope of the realm of the two individuals who initially it was going through. But when you got got offsprings, that stuff trickled down into their head. And children are more observant than what we give them credit for. Very much so. And that's how they learn the behavior and the walk that they learn, they walk that they've come accustomed to know is because they just sat back and they watched and they mm-hmm. saw. And that mm-hmm. stuff be and that stuff be planted into their to their into their minds and, and, and then when they get into their mindset they become their their behavior, their manner way of thinking. And they don't see it that way. No. Now counselor, I know you on this call and I know you you studied that. But the thing is, and, and we as adults, we need to be mindful of the way that we present ourselves even when we go outside of our doors. Mm-hmm. As children of God, now, I'm not even talking about the professionalism of the aspect of our lives, but the way that we as children of God, we need to do have a different walk. Like when, when it comes down to my nieces and nephews, 
They were like, well, uncle, you're a teacher. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. You're true. You're so true, so true, so true, so true. That's the reason why I watch what I say in front of them. I watch what I do because they're looking at, they, they, they're teaching me. This is the way you keep yourself in a professional life is by not being around, I'm saying, because Jesus went around, he didn't go around to save people. He went around all the sinners, right? Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to go over there and sit with Miss Flo and them because they drink beer. You don't drink beer. Well, I could sit in their company and not drink beer. And I try to let them know that. And I don't have to partake of because of what they do. I don't have to do it neither. That's where you need to know. And if things get too hot or too heavy and I see something going to pop off, or if I feel uncomfortable within my spirit and I just dismiss I say, well, okay, you all, I'll see you all tomorrow. <laughs> and keep on moving. But children look at what we as adults do. Because when it comes down to it and they remember when they become adults, they're going to end up where you did it. You know that thought of it. Nowadays, children throw it back in your face where you and I or those on this call didn't even have the unmitigated um, goal to even bring back up whatever it was that our parents did or said or, or even or, or how they walked was back before their minds, you know? Because I went to death sat there and told my grandmother, well, grandmother, you did this, then it did so, so, so. But nowadays, these children put these adults in check. Mhm. Well, so that's not making sense. Um, you know, just because they don't acknowledge your um, your feelings doesn't make them any less real. You know, you you felt what you felt, and you're entitled to to that feeling. It 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 had an effect on you. Um, so just because they won't acknowledge it, it doesn't make it any less real. Um, and by not acknowledging your feelings, it, it makes them less accountable, you know, because for, for them to acknowledge that it did affect you, then that, that makes them accountable for the way that you were treated, the way that you, were, that you felt, and... I know what what helped me personally um, uh, get to the point of forgiveness was when I realized that our parents are, you know, they're human and they're subject to fallacy just like everybody else. You know, a lot of times we we hold our parents up to such a high standard. um, We expect them to, you know, to be perfect. We expect them to know better, to have done better, and so on and so forth. And a lot of times, um, especially with the parents who who became parents young, they did the best they could with what they had. And you know, when you when you can when you can step outside of your feelings and just look at them as a regular person, it it. It makes a little more sense. I'm not saying that it's right, and I'm not saying that 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 you approve of it, but it it helps to to keep it in perspective, you know. And it helps to be able to forgive um, their actions. It doesn't doesn't mean that you forget, um, and it doesn't mean that you approve. But it just I don't know. You you get a more, more a little more of a of an understanding, 
you know, I applaud Felicia for even being able to have that conversation with her father. That's something that, I, that even I've all these years, I've never expressed that to my father. And because I know in my father's mind, he didn't do anything wrong. Because this is my mm-hmm. I, I know it. And the sad part about it, he has this ideology that we're supposed to take care of him. <laughs> I'm like, well, what about us as our own lives? And now that we have, you're still supposed to take care of him. Because mm-hmm. that's where his mother raised him. You know, my, my grandmother made my father quit school in the 11th grade. He was a very good athlete. In fact, schools was looking at him and a, and a very studious person. Just to send the older brother to college, he had to get a job to send the older brother to college. Now the older brother got this big church, yeah, 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 yeah. He's living that life like so. He, and in fact, when this church pulled him in, they gave him the old governor's mansion in Alabama to live in, seven bathrooms and a house. But you only had three kids and a wife. Where well, he had an outside child, but the outside child is basically almost non-existent until she come around. And the thing is, now he's written books, and you can go online and look under GWC. He just published a book probably last year, did a big book signing, and got out and sold in the first day 23 million copies in one day, and living the life like he's supposed to live, and blah, 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 blah. But when he got on his sick bed, he said, you know what? My uncle did acknowledge this, and my aunt. They said, I applaud you, Diana and Tina, because you're there for your mother and you're helping your mother and your father during their sickness and blah, 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 blah. And there we call my uncle Reb. Um, And Reb up there, and he's on his back, and his children won't even come and help bathe him and what have you. And, oh, I don't do that. I don't bathe nobody. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. And then my uncle comes and says, my children won't even come and give me a glass of water, and here I am broken down, and my wife is broken down. They won't even come and give me a glass of water. Now, he pastors a church where they don't just give him the, the money during the anniversary, and when they give him money, they don't give no play money. I'm talking about like six figures, Mercedes, and all kind of stuff like this, and blah, 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 blah. But when the anniversary comes, the children are there to help divvy up the tab and see what they can get out of the pot. Hmm. And my daddy don't even have the mind to realize you were blessed. You're blessed. Well, we all are blessed, but you're blessed that you got children after all the shenanigans that you pulled and you did, and they saw that you did, and how you took care of another person's household and the world that you raised, even though you stand in the house with your wife and your children, you raised her children, all of them in prison. They ain't in prison just for no short span of time. Jill and I went to high school together. Jill been in high school, been in prison ever since I've been out of high school. We've been out of high school. We're talking about, a, what, 30 years. And But then again, you think it's okay, and then you brought your woman up there when you was the head of the security department at the school where Sam, Erica, and, and, and Maria and myself went in, and you let her work right on the, your side, and your children see this. But if you bring it up for you, I didn't do no wrong. Why you didn't do no wrong? You was a whole, excuse me, I know this is a prayer call, but this is, you, was a, you was very lavish with your lifestyle, and you was open with it. 
and it affects. And so if I talk to him about it, it ain't supposed to ever happen. Pam, you met my dad. He laid in that bed. He acted like ain't nothing happened. <laughs> had like we just had the had the lifestyle of being father and son uh, uh, all our lives, best buds, best buds. We arrived from here to New York, and the only time he and I were talking in the car, car, we need some gas. Mm. I want to stop and use the bathroom. Are you hungry? And that's for sixteen hours. That's a conversation. Wow. Sixteen. Wow. And now that we, and, and I prayed, I think I've said this in a prayer call from years ago, and I prayed, when I moved back to Jersey on my own, I prayed, I said, Lord, how can I love you when I don't love the one whom you sent me through? And I prayed for that. I prayed for 10 years. I prayed for 10 years. I prayed. That was my prayer every day. I know the Lord got tired of hearing it. So he mended that broken relationship with us without us ever even discussing what happened. And this reason why you need to be careful about what you pray for. Now he's like a tattoo on a biker's butt. Every time you move, he moves just like that. <laughs> you, I'm serious. I got to laugh at it. Every time you move, he moves just like that. If I go on a vacation, he go on a vacation. If my sister's going on vacation, he's going on vacation. If my sisters and I go on vacation, he's going to be, he's going to, he going to take the front seat in the car on the passenger side on the vacation. Mm. If he and my mom are going on their anniversary, you all got to go too. Take off your job. So you have to be, and thank God that he did mean that. But the point is, it's still H-U-R-T. Oh, yeah. Lord, what a you know what? we we woven. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do the um the the one thing that really set free the hurt for me. It wasn't. Talking to him was the was the was so that he was the last straw for me. That was that was for me because I I needed for him to know because my dad is real my all that. But the the part that really freed me because I can go with the part that really freed me was. I wrote him a letter. I didn't send it to him. You know, the conversation that me and him had was not uh, a knockdown, drag out, back and forth. But what I did was I wrote everything out in a letter to him. Everything from us knowing that he had been cheating to how we your 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 story mirrors my own, how he left the house, how he, you know, had a child out of wedlock, how, you know, the the messiness of everything that he did. I wrote all of that in a letter. I wrote how I felt through everything. I, I wrote the, the effect that it had on me and my relationships. I wrote all that out in a letter. And then I pray, I put my prayer to God on that. You know what I mean? Because the thing is, 
when we when the, the hurt that we that I was feeling that I know you're still feeling is because you've never expressed the whole thing. It's just like it's it's just like um, when you break your leg and they said they have to it, if it didn't mend right they have to break it again and reset it. It's that kind of thing. If you don't if you don't totally let all that hurt out, it's like a festering wound that, it, you know, it still has a scab on it. It's like a, a, a wound that has healed correctly. Once that scab comes off, you have new skin, and it, and it, it blends in with the rest of the, your, your body eventually. But if it's a wound that's not cleaned properly, when you take that scab off, there's still an infection in it. And that's basically the same thing with old hurts. If we don't address them clearly and address the root of it, address the effects of it. I mean, look at how they do in medicine. If you have cancer, what do they do first? They have to operate. They have to clean it out, and then they go through and make sure that there's no residue in there. You know, they have, and then they make you change your diet and all this other stuff and chemo and whatever. But there's a process, and the same thing with emotional hurt. We have to do the same thing. Well, it's a, how did it affect you? You know, where did it affect you? It did it affect your relationship? Did it reflect how how you feel felt about yourself? Because we think. We think in part, but we have to look at the whole thing. And when I started writing this letter, I was like, man, it affected this. You know, it didn't just affect this, it affected this. And, you know, I, you know, like low self-esteem. I thought it was my fault. You know, um, what did I do wrong? Was I not good enough? So now all those feelings went into how I dealt with my friends. Okay, do my, do my friends like me enough? Maybe if I say yes enough, maybe if I do this enough, maybe if I act this way enough, and dealing with, you know, Personal relationships is trying to, like, be boyfriend, girlfriend, marriages and stuff, okay? Am I this enough? Am I that enough? Maybe if I did this or, you know, and it's just all of this stuff is all wrapped up in just this one event. And if we and, and until I addressed it, I didn't understand why I did certain things, why I acted certain ways around certain people at certain times, and why if somebody said something that even sounded like my dad, I'd jap off and be like, okay, where did that come from? So it's in that, that forgiveness and all that that's a healing for us. So take off the whole thing. Don't just address it in part so that your hurt can be you know, your hurt can be be completely healed. Because it's not about him, it's about you. And I, and once I figured that out, and, and the only reason why I even talked to my dad was he kept bringing things up that happened. He had a tendency to do that. Well, y'all did this and y'all did that, not addressing what he did. And so and, and he just so happened when after I wrote that letter, he made a statement like that. And so because he made that statement and I was in a place of healing and I was in a place where it was no longer animosity or irritation for him to say that, I was able to say it to him without there being an argument. 
And what I said is he looked at me and he was like, I didn't know it bothered you that bad. I was like, yeah, it did. Even though he still didn't acknowledge that he was wrong, his apology was, I'm sorry it it, it hurt you that bad. Then he had to, you know, then he had to, you know, fix it. It didn't have anything to do with you, but I'm sorry it hurt you that bad, you know, to make himself feel better. You know, and I got that. He couldn't help. He did not want to be held accountable for affecting anybody but him because basically at the end of the day, and this is based, I'm I'm going by what you're saying, Arthur, your dad sounds like my dad. It was all about him. Mm. It's all about him. All of his actions is all about him. I, I love my dad, and me and my sister were just talking about him today. But I can say, in love, my dad is selfish. He's very selfish. And and, and once we got that understanding that if it wasn't his way, if, if his feelings were not involved in it, it didn't affect him, it had nothing to do with him. Regardless of his actions affected everybody else, as long as he was feeling okay, it was a good thing. So once we got the understanding that he was selfish, everything now is just like, oh, wow, consider the source. He's selfish. So, I mean, now, we, you know, coming to present time, we were going to go down and visit him. We've been, my sister told him last month that we were going to go down there this month and see him. We let him know the dates and everything, and so now – just this past Friday, he told her, you know what, I won't be able to be there because the daughter of my wife wants to come up and see her father. Mm. And we were like, and so he doesn't tell me stuff like this because he knows I'll lie into him. He tells her this because she's nicer than me when it comes to the relationship between us. He, I, I respect him, but he knows I will... I will say my piece now, so he doesn't tell me everything. And so he apologized, and then he called her back, and he was like, so are you guys still going to do your trip? And so my sister was like, well, yeah, we're still going. But I said I wasn't, basically he was saying, but I said I wasn't going to, I was because he was, he was supposed to go with us. He said, but I said I wasn't going to be able to go. She was like, ah, okay. Oh, so you guys are still going. Yeah, we're still going to go. And he was like, oh, so now he sees that even though he's being selfish, we're not going to let him let that affect us. So understand that it's not about you. When it comes to that generation, it's always been, it's all about me. Even now, it's even more so now that it's, it's the all about me thing, but the selfishness of our fathers for those of our age range, has always been as long as I provide, it doesn't matter if I provide for another family. Mm. It doesn't matter that, you know, I step out and do X, Y, Z. You got a roof over your head, right? Okay. Mm. I make sure you had clothes and food, then you're good. That's all that matters. Everything else I've done is all about me. Mm. And, and it goes back to the mindset of the male 
during that era, that generation of time, because they felt like, I guess, in my mind, I'm going to say it that way, so I won't mm-hmm. say it would be something like I can't tell you how they feel, but in my mind, like you said, it's all about them at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Because the, it was just three things. I give you shelter. I give you food. I make sure you have clothes. And when I look back on our relationship, me and my, my dad never played with us. He never played with us. I mean, he helped us with homework. But when it came to, like, playing games, there was no such thing as playing games. Even now, like, when he comes around our kids and we play, like, board games and stuff, unless it's Scrabble or car games, my dad has no interest in it. He thinks it's beneath him. So, again, it's about him and what he likes and what he doesn't like. And and it's, and it's just like... We, we have to look at everybody as an individual, and we can't set them in what we, like Erica said, and what we assume they should be like because they will always be disappointed and we will continually get hurt. But if we see them as Christ did with the blind man, if we see them as they really are instead of how we, we expect them to be, then we won't, we won't, we won't be dis, disappointed. And I'm gonna shut up now, but I just I just have to share that. That that that's so key to everything. That's so key to everything. Because if we don't see people how they really are, we're I, I expect you to give me back what I'm giving you. And that doesn't happen, then we start getting hurt and we start changing ourselves based on that. And and then we do ourselves a disservice. Mm-hmm. We do our things. And forgiveness yeah, is for forgiveness is for you. Mm-hmm. It's for us. It is not for the person you're trying to forgive or you're wanting to forgive. Forgiveness is for you. And when we begin to understand that, that also allows us to draw closer to Christ and 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 allow Him to impart certain things into our spirit. Because let's just totally be honest, how many times have we walked away from God and what he's told us as we're saying that our parents have or may have? All right, now. And so he has not totally washed his hands with us. He has not totally ostracized us. And though these may have been experiences that we've had in our life, you know, of carnality, the forgiveness that we have for our loved ones and our brothers and sisters is God showing us how he so loved us and how we should in return love our brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. In spite of. In spite of. Now, again, this is one of those things we spoke about, you know, just today, that it's not easy. But it is a requirement of God because as Arthur said in his prayer, and it says also in the word, how can you love me when you can't even love your brother? Hmm. 
how am I going to believe this is God? How should I? How, why should I believe that you those um, that those affections or those feelings that you you know express to me? Why should I believe that they're true? You can't even love the person that's done you wrong that you look at every day. Mm. And you don't. You can't love me. the person. You can't love the person that's in your household that you say is present in body, but absent in all other aspects of life. Mm. Mm. So mm. why should I, when you fall on your knees and pray and cry to me, why should I believe that you are sincere? Why? Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> and I and I say this, you know, I, I say it with the passion that I have is because in my divorce, I had to have this conversation. There was no way for me, for Erica, that I would have been able to walk away from you know, even the end of my marriage without communicating to him what, you know, that I apologize, I'm sorry for whatever it is that you may feel, I wish you well. I could not move from that point and live a life of prosperity. I would not be able to move from that place in life and be able to allow God to use me conscientiously knowing that I have not even had that conversation with him. And again, my biggest job, other than adhering to what God is telling me to do, is to help my children heal because they hurt because of a choice I made. Remember, we talked about earlier about the repercussions one way or another of choices we make because we all have a choice. I could have stayed there and my children would still have to deal with the decision that I made because he was a lot like what both of you all are saying or a lot like what Arthur, more so Arthur. And my children, especially my youngest, that's her issue now. And where I am healed, or I believe I'm healed, where I've walked away from that 17-year marriage, my daughters are still dealing with the repercussions in another form. I'm okay. My children are still dealing with it. And the things that you all are talking about are the same type of things that I'm trying to teach them. Have the conversation, you know, be prayerful. And that's why, again, the other part of what you said earlier, Felicia, about how do you, you know, uh, deal with probably, you know, we were talking about something specifically, but it, I think that is very, um, I think you can use that in every aspect of your life. Because now I have to teach that to my children with the hopes that they will, you know, me praying and interceding on their behalf, but also with me grooming them in the fashion that they know and understand that they have to pray for themselves, that that's what they have to pray for. Because even though it was my choice and my decision that led them to this 
dealing with what they're dealing with now. I need them to understand, though I intercede, they still have to go to God on their own. All right, man. All right. If that's going to ultimate answer, it's going to lie right there. And, 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 and you know, it's just, oh, my God. Y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all don't an hour in my heart. And again, though your father, both of your fathers may be selfish, believe it or not, there are some things about your fathers you still don't know. Yeah. That is so true. <laughs> and the fact, I think someone mentioned it earlier about, I think it was Pam who mentioned something of, to the term, to the degree of accountability. Just because we don't feel that they're being accountable. Do understand they're going to be accountable one way or another. Because even those unspoken words, they are enduring even through the different behaviors that we have, whether they be good or bad. That's accountability to our parents as to how they, you know, raised us. Uh, or not raised up. And you know, and, and, and since you said that raised, and all of you all are parents on here, probably except for Pam and myself, I can't tell you, like you said, I can't tell you how to raise your children. But then again, I, in a way I could because I'm sitting up here teaching your children, a lot of kids, people, children. But the thing is, God's given us instructions on how to live our walk in daily in the Bible. If we take out the time to read it and to meditate it and study it, to eat it, so you just got to go through those things. But there's no instruction, no. All these authors and all these publishers or, or gurus or what have you want to say, have, a lot of people have written books on instructions, how to raise a child, how to care for a child, what you're to do when a child is so and so 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 All of that is fly by just something to make a, make a dollar buck. Because with every situation, there's a new way you got to handle it, even those with multiple children. I'm sure, Erica, you had to deal with punch a different, different way. You had to do a different technique with her. You had to do a different technique with um, Janai. You had to do a uh, different technique with your last, I can't call her the last little girl, uh, whoever her name is, not being anybody. Jayla. You had to, everyone, you had to handle them differently. Everybody had their own personality, so you had to do a little something different with that person to make it work. And I couldn't, that's the reason why I couldn't see myself being a parent because if I got to change hats and roles like that with my own, then going out and deal with the hundred plus that I have to deal with on a daily, I promise I wouldn't have no, you think I got gray hair now, I probably wouldn't even have any hair. And it is just a, we can read all the self-help books we want, but until you walk that walk, that's what your lesson is being taught to you. You know, and so that's the reason why I guess I love my father. I, well, I know I love my father deeply. 
But that's the reason why I really can't just keep on hopping on what he didn't do or what I saw he didn't do, what could have made my life a little easier for me. I can't hold him accountable for Well, he's going to be accountable for but I can't hold it against him. Because when I prayed to that Heavenly Father for those 10 years to give up a relationship, me and him, I wasn't talking about my sisters, talking about me and him, a relationship. Now that the Lord has given me that, I got to try and make whatever hand I have been dealt, I got to play it to the best of my ability right now. Because I'm going to be held accountable for how I treat him. Whether he did me wrong or not, I'm still going to be held accountable for the way that I treat him. Even though he might have not done me the way that I felt like he should have done. Because I shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be the neighbors take me to the football game, to the basketball games, to take me to the skating rink. It should have been my father. Just like what Felicia was just saying. That, that wasn't my neighbor's responsibility. It wasn't my brother-in-law's responsibility to do those things. It was my father's responsibility. But now that he and I have a relationship, how are you going to treat him? You treat him as he's the head of your household. He's the centerpiece of your household. He's the centerpiece of your family. And thank God that you have a forgiving heart. In the, that I have a forgiving heart enough to even go that way. Because a lot of people will be like, you did this bump you. I don't need you. Don't even talk to me. Some people could be that way. But I desire to be able to, like the word of God says in the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother that, that the Lord has given us so that our days may be long upon this earth. I still got to honor him, even though he didn't do me Right. I'm responsible how I got to treat you. Elka might have fed, might have fed me and said, so I'm just using this analogy, not that you have. But still, how are you going to treat Erica when you come in her presence? She may dark you out every time, but how are you going to treat her? Are you going to retaliate and try to make her hurt just as bad as she made you feel? Or are you going to try and let this stuff wash up under the bridge and try and make a relationship even better? How am I, how am I going to treat you? So that's the way I see it. I don't know. I got to love you in spite of just like the Lord loved us in spite of because you know we fall short each and every day where we live on this earth of his glory, of his blessing, of his mercy, of his grace. You know, if, if I may interject, um, I'm so much, and I'm just going to keep this short, but, um, you know, it's a lot of things. Um, I think about like this because really, <laughs> Lord, my walk, because that stuff, that unforgiveness will destroy you. It will destroy you. It will. It will destroy you and type of palm and it will destroy everybody around you because you become like a drone. You become a walking picking contract. And a lot of times, uh, 
you know, people, they don't, a lot of times, other folks don't even talk about parents. They don't even know all the time what they're doing. You see, a lot of times we hold them accountable and we hold um, them hostage to change, and they don't even know that they're doing it because we don't say anything. We expect them to just know what they're doing to us. People, too. We expect them. You should just know that you're doing your parent. You're supposed to know your father. You're supposed to know what I need. You're supposed to know that what you're doing is correct. But they don't know because they're doing what was done to them. And then their parents are doing what was done to them. So they really don't know. They're just repeating the cycle. You know, and a lot of times we help people hostage and we have to, but I've always said that it's not fair to hold people accountable to that, which they don't even know they're being held accountable for. So we have to make sure that we, you know, are doing, as a child is going to be, you know, different, obviously, but we have to make sure that we are honest and upfront with some people when they are hurting us so that we give them an opportunity to correct and to make it right because that frees both parties. Otherwise, you know, they're, they're hostage and we're hostage and, and, and it's just a hot mess. It's just a hot mess. But the biggest thing I guess that I want to say, um, and this is from experience, um, is, is that we do have to forgive so that we can open up our eyes to see what we may be doing to our own children. I know for me I've had to apologize to my do- my older daughter, you know, I think I felt more. Huh? Okay. Um, worse, you know, than she did because I felt so guilty. I, I knew that because of the things that I had gone through, that I'm, I, I, I was so busy trying to, as I said earlier, recover from my childhood. And I know that I, I, I could not have been things the very best. And I had to sit her down and apologize to her for that. And acknowledge, you know, mom, you know, wasn't, and, and I think that her wife like, oh, you know, but I know that I hurt her and I know that, that I caused damage and I know that I didn't always speak up when I should. It's just different things. So at a certain point, we have to break the cycle, those of us with children. And even with family members, siblings, whatever, we have to break the cycle. Somebody has to be honest and courageous enough to stand up and say, I'm tripping. You know, this is not right and acknowledge the hurt so that it does not continue and continue and continue. And the only way that that can be done and what it takes sometimes to be able to do that is we just have to pray and ask God to help us to see and help us to forgive so that we can begin to walk in our healing so that we do no more damage so that it stops somewhere and we give our children a chance to have productive, healthy relationships. And then it gives us a chance to be right with God because we're not harboring unforgiveness in our lives, you know, so that we don't stunt our own growth and shut love and, and peace and joy out of our own lives. Well. That's true. And, and that's breaking that generational curse. Because if you don't, it's going to be a repeated cycle they're going to be handed down and handed down and handed down and handed down that's never broken. 
Absolutely. Absolutely not. You you are I need to go there. You are absolutely right. Absolutely right. So true. No, it's gotta stop somewhere and that's why our society, our kids, um, not one reason why we why they're the way that they are. It's like a perpetual hot a mess. Because nobody, because everybody's blaming everybody else, and everybody else wants everybody else to apologize and and all of this stuff. But we are not, and we are not. And this is because I did it. So long. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have any change. Um, because we we we're not doing the work on ourselves. Because in order for us to to be able to, so what if somebody did come in and apologize? Like, what if they did? You know what I'm saying? What if, what if, 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 if my stepdad did apologize? Which, case in point, I just thought about that. Y'all can go ahead and get out. Case in point, I'll come right in. Case in point is that because I was such a torn up, toiled up mess, my stepfather came and tried to apologize to me several times over the years. Several times. And I cut him. I wrote him a letter. I cut him. I was so mad about the, oof, just both of them. Just, they, oof, they did not, it was, it was just crazy. But I, I was so focused on what he, what I felt like he didn't do that I never thanked him for what he did do. I Dang. never thanked him for, and, and this is, this is conviction in my spirit that I felt like in the last years at this age, I never once thanked him for what he, I was so mad because I just was so pissed that my real father wasn't in my life and they didn't, they was arguing, they blah, 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 blah. I never even stopped to think in my immaturity and experience what they, maybe it was your mama's fault. Why are you hating him? You don't know what, what really went on. What if your mama did something? And then as I get older, oh, my mom has been depressed her whole life. Major depressive that probably had something to do with why that marriage didn't work. You see what I'm saying? Come on, and, and it's certain, mm-hmm. it's certain things that we have to. And so I never thanked him for taking my mom. Now that that he was some kind of knight in shining armor, but my mom was was a 13 year old mother. She didn't go to college or nothing. She's beautiful, a great person, but he was in college. He was headed to grad school. He just, you know, what I'm saying he came from a two parent. Household, the church, you know, he didn't have to be schooling with my mom because a lot of people wouldn't have. You know, took me, we, we ended up in a good situation financially, you know, da da da. But I never thanked him for what he did do. I, I used the, the resentment and the hurt, and I use it as a shield. It was like a shield, like a cocoon. To not let anything in because I was so ticked off, really, about the fact that I didn't like the way that my mom handled the business with my biological father. I thought it was, I didn't like that. You see what I'm saying? So the point is, I had to grow to a point, and God had to put me through enough to the point where I had to be ready to reconcile because he came to me so many times. We could have been, we cool now. 
We could have been cool years ago. All that time wasted. But there are some things that God has to do with me first. I had to fix some things in me first before I was even prepared to accept an apology and go through the whole forgiveness process. And so with that, I'm just saying that we have to, we got to fix us. We have to make sure we're okay. That bitterness and the resentment and all that crazy stuff and the unforgiveness, we have to make sure that we allow God to work with it because if the other person who we felt um, has been an offense to us, even if they do come to us, we're not going to be ready. It's a case of a case of uh, of seeing the, the, the moat in your eye when I got a plank in my eye. So in other words, I got to remove this blinder out of my eye so that I can see you in a different light. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of um, finger pointing that goes on with people. And I ought to know. Cause my little it, it, skinny finger was always pointed at somebody because I always felt like I'm the victim. See, that's that, that pride stuff that we, we talk about, that we were learning about in the readings in the morning and why the author was, was saying that pride is the foundation. Um, it's the foundation of all sin because it's always us, us, us. What you did to me, what you did this. I was always talking about my stuff. I did this to me. He did this to me. He did this to me. And I never thought about the fact that I was a selfish little brat. I was a, I can't say it on the line. But I know, I know that I probably just the biggest a-hole sometimes. I was, I, I, I know I was. And it couldn't have been easy to deal with my little butt because I know he wanted to whip my butt and probably had every right to. Then my well, mom, I'm quite, huh? Go on. No, I was going to say, my mom probably blocked that discipline. You see what I'm saying? She probably did. You know, but I know I deserve to have my behind me sometimes. But the stuff that, some of the stuff that I did, man, if my, if my children did that, I will bust them. But my my sister that got killed, my mom had hmm. two children before she met my father. And their fathers were absent out of their lives and everything. But my dad really came in. He took he took on those, my older sister and the one who got killed. And the thing is, he was so, I guess he was such a man-man, where he didn't want them to have any interaction with their biological father. In fact, when he came around, oh, you should see that you think my father, Pam seen my father, and Erica seen my father, you think, and Sam seen it. If you see the frown on that man's face, he passed that down to my sister and I. But I might frown, but I got a kind heart. But my sister that's older than me, she's so much as my dad's child to the point I don't even like to even look at her. But anyway, um, he really, 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 he took up with those first two, my, my sisters. And the thing was, I guess he spoiled them so much where he didn't even have room enough to even try to even love me. Because my sister that's old next to me, now that's his, his pride and joy. And and my aunt and I was talking yesterday when I wanted to have lunch with her. And, when he was, and I told her what my dad said about us being glad that he's gone or whatever. I said, what he worried about as long as he see Dorothy, that's my mother, and my sister, that's the cop. He see them two, hey, his whole world is fine. And But anyway, um, with those oldest two, my sister that got killed used to place him against my older sister. That's my dad calling the phone now. I'm not going to answer. I'm going to let my mom answer that. 
But anyway, and he says, um, she 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 was so loud. My older sister said, "Dad, I need so and so so and so so and so for school, whatever." And my my sister that got killed said, "Watch this. I bet you I get it before you do. I bet you I get it before you do." And she go in there, Dad, I need so 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 so. Well, here, Ella, you going to get this. Diana, I get you the next time. Although she was the first in line to get whatever she was supposed to get. That's how he how how, how his mind worked. And but this sister here that's next to me. Oh God, Sam could tell you because Sam made it, made made the statement to him when I was there in February. He asked about Tina. He said with her mean self, and my dad couldn't do nothing but chuckle because he knew he was talking about when he was talking about her being mean. He knew he was talking about him being him, and it's just amazing how the way I guess he in my in my mind I guess he looking at the way you a boy you're supposed to defend for yourself these girls I got to provide for them are you serious homeboy I will provide for myself I'm the youngest of all of them at the time I everybody's older than me adults they they had their own jobs had their own families had their husbands or whatever blah 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 but still, you won't even spend not one moment with me at the time. And so at the time, so, but now, I'm in a way, I'm kind of thankful that he didn't have that time, you know what I'm saying, because I could have been off worse than what I was, than I am. But by then, I knew I, I developed a love for people. And then the thing is, when you say, like you were just saying, Felicia, you're saying how he came to apologize for you, if you just had allowed him to uh, to apologize and accept his apology at that time, all that wasted time could have been for the good. Felicia had to go. Oh, okay, so she gone. But that's to the rest of us. But anyway. That was uh, me. Um, that was me. Yep. That was Lisa. Oh, Lisa, 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 I'm sorry. That's all right. Oh, there was Lisa. Yeah, that's what I thought I was. I don't know why I think I was. I heard your voice, and I'm, but I'm hearing Felicia. But you, but the, but the thing is, it, 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 then you come and now that you know better, what you going to do? What are you going to do? What are we going to do? You know? Y'all go deep. Erica, I tell you, you and Lisa and Felicia, y'all go deep. Y'all go deep. Y'all go real deep. But, you know, I want to share this as well. You know, out of everything that um, I've dealt with with my father, knowing that, you know, most of you know that we grew up in different places and I was raised in, you know, a different place than my father lived and, you know, my history with um, his wife and all of that. And, my, and when we talk about um, accountability, regardless to, I can you know, honestly say, regardless to if I forgive him or not, however I handle him, um, he, you know, God is going to deal with him with that. And to be totally honest with you, there is nothing that I can do. There is nothing that any of us can do with a lot of our situations, you know, in terms of trying to pay a person back that uh, God will not reconcile with them himself. Number two, 
um, when I spoke, you know, when I was speaking moments ago about um, not knowing really, you know, a lot of times us not really knowing what our parents feel and think and how uh, they are dealing with their shortcomings or shortfalls of being a parent in whatever area we're discussing at the moment, I can honestly tell you that when my um, just the you know maybe you know within the last year my father said to me how um, that you know how it how his it makes his heart proud of how I've turned out. And because he was so worried about how things would be for me, knowing that he did not um, participate in my life. And what I also heard from him that he did not say verbally is he's dealing with that because with me becoming the woman that I am, he knows that he had nothing to do with that. Get out of my mouth because that's exactly what I was going to say. And so all I'm saying is the accountability part. Oh, he's dealing with it. He's dealing with it. And, you know, that's why it's so important that we forgive. You know, one of the things, one of the major reasons it's important that we forgive because, one, you know, that's what we are supposed to do. That's one of the things that God expects of us because, you know, there is no way that we can get close to God you know, how can we expect God to forgive us if we don't forgive someone else? How would we expect God to love us if we can't love any other people despite their wrong, their wrongs and their shortcomings? So do know, regardless to how we handle the situation, God deals with them. And even in, in carnality, they deal with themselves. So whatever demeanor or attitude that they exhibit, that we witness, even if they appear to have a harsh attitude, because um, uh, I think it was Lisa who, who just said something about how she hid behind the pain, you know, having, you know, because anger and these different giants that we deal with, those are the representatives that we present to other people just to hide the hurt and pain that we're dealing with. Yes, yes, so do understand, God, yeah, do understand they're dealing with themselves as well as God is going to deal with them as well. So to get a way to deliver yourself or help be delivered from the anxieties and the worries and the fears and the pains and the discomforts and the hurts that we are exposed to, we have to forgive. Look at this. Erica. It is a uh, process it, it, of being delivered from people, period. Because exactly. as long as you display those uh, emotions and feelings, you're still operating or allowing people to have control of what you do and what you don't do, regardless to how we want to put on this front or this face that they don't bother us. Well, yeah, they are because you feel it's worthy enough to discuss it or give them any type of attention. Mhm. You know what? You just said something about masking the hurt. 
masking the hurt. And this might, I, I, this way, the way the Lord showed me this. Just think about this. When we do our fasting, and we're not in the word, I would tell you when you fast or whatever, fast and praying and stuff like that, you're not supposed to go out and announce to everybody that you're fasting because basically it counsels out what you're doing. And the thing is, but you still are supposed to go around with a smile as though, even though hunger pains are beating you down, and you know you desire to have that burger, that pop, the candy, the cookie, the chips, or whatever, something, anything to give your body some some nourishment so that you can have energy. You're still supposed to walk around as though you're not doing that thing. And I got that from the, when I thought about that fasting thing, how we are not supposed to announce it and we are not supposed to go around and look sad and sorrowful and, and all that stuff like that. That is to help us, is teaching us how to deal with the pain such as what we are dealing with now. Because in in a sense, in the absence of your father, the absence of my father, Lisa's father, and Felicia's father, we were fasting because we wanted that father figure there, but the father figure was absent. But in the street where people saw us, we still had to wear that pleasant look as though nothing was hurting us. But deep down inside, it had to have hurt me for me to even bring that back up 2016, June 29, 2016. It had to have hurt me. But people didn't know what the struggles was going on in my household because the simple fact I did not share it. I had to walk around like everything's all right. How's your dad? He's good. How's your mom? She's well. They're at work. They're at church. Or they're out of town. You know, but we were good. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're hurting like a mug. So, the thing is, and the Lord just showed me that, even when you're fasting, you're not supposed to announce it. You'll let nobody even know. Even just like in our pain and our hurt right now, we are fasting for our the, for the longing, for the love, the time and attention of our of 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 the of of the one whose seeds we are. We still had to mask those feelings. So that when nobody else knows, because you know the moment you speak it or breathe it out your mouth, as this old woman would say when I was teaching down and you fall a breath it out your mouth, that becomes in and in news for everybody in the street. Something for them to talk about. And then they, they you know how gossipers go about tail barrels, they're gonna add to it, they're gonna take it away, they're gonna even make it seem worse than what it really is. Even though you didn't tell them. So the thing is, it's just, we, we, we're some strong individuals. We're some strong individuals. And now to come to know the Lord and him to bring us full circle to the point where we could share marbles with each other. And if your mind anything like mine, whatever was said today, no more than how we got to forgive and learn to forgive and not hold people, you know, to that, to that point, it's going to slip your mind by the time you get off the car because mind is going to slip it no more than the fact that, hey, we can overcome this thing. Even if we're coming with our limbs, 
even if we come up with the thorn in our flesh. Just know that God's grace is sufficient for us all and that he's going to bring us through this storm too. It's nothing but another storm. It's another test. And I'm done. As Sam say, I'm going on mute. Did the call cut off? I guess everybody went on mute then. Oh, you seeing that, Brother Farley? Nope, I'm not here. Too hard. You talking to me? Mm. It's a facsimile of Sam Farley. It's my clone. Well, you know, clones don't live long. They just be temporary. Whatever. I'm living like it's golden. How's your parents? They're doing good. They're upstairs now talking about something. <laughs> okay. Did you pray for me today? I ain't prayed for nobody. Where y'all going? Y'all can pray for everybody today. I'm good. Oh, you're on vacation. Yeah, hey, y'all, y'all handling. Y'all go ahead and handle prayer requests. Y'all on the roll, so go right ahead. <laughs> Who was that laughing just as hard behind you as, as you are, Pam? Mm, pretty much. <laughs> but you know, life teaches us to walk around with a facade, does you with a mask on, so that other people cannot see the, mm-hmm. the, the, the pain that we are dealing with. And so, and we wear it well, I must say. We wear it well. But what life teaches us is totally opposite of what God and the word desires and teaches us. Because if we cannot be truthful and vulnerable to him, and if we're not willing to be vulnerable to him, then he has he has already said in his word he's not going to enter into a vessel that's not accepting of him my god so you know and we take it for not that he's sovereign and that he's all knowing and all powerful we have to also you know express that so we can you know let him know that we are willing and open for him to enter. So in other words, you're telling me if I don't come and confess and talk to my father, Heavenly Father, about this this pain that I I have, he can't heal it if I don't address it and let him know what I've been to ask for. It. And, not, and a lot of times you can't even identify that he's addressed it because you've never acknowledged it. You act like it doesn't exist. Right. Right. My God. Because in, in other words, he don't want half of you. He wants all of you. He wants to hurt right. your pain, your filthiness, your, your, 
all the all the stuff that keep you from being pure in his eyesight, he needs you to come and talk to him about it. Right. Because to force, you know, for someone to force themselves on you is pretty much considered rape. He's not at, mm-hmm. he's not trying to rape you. He's exactly. asking that you give of yourself willingly. Right. Willingly. Not grudgingly, but willingly. Mm-hmm. That's the key word, willingly. Yep. And that's why he keeps giving us so many opportunities. We call them bad things or, you know, bad circumstances. And it is. It's kind of foul sometimes. They kind of don't feel good. But there are opportunities over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why would you, you know, why do I keep going through the same thing? It seems like that because he keeps giving us opportunities to see and to accept. He just he keeps providing them. And for the reasons that Erica just said, because he's not going to just force himself. So he provides the opportunities. He provides them until we get to a point where, um, you know, where we're ready. Sometimes mm-hmm. it takes a long time for some people. My hand is raised on that. You know, it's a lot of ex you know, extenuating factors. You know, it's a lot that goes into when we become ready. You know, when do we become ready? But um, he always provides it. But at the same time, we have to understand that he's not going to move us until he completes this step either. So if he got to keep us in third grade for 5, 10, 15 years, we're just going to be in third grade. He's not going to put us in a situation. He's not going to put us in seventh grade to fail when he knows we're not ready. So you're saying we got to pass that test? I'm saying we got to pass a few of them. Read the mm-hmm. math, all them, all attitudes, all them. We got to pass the test. Just, yep, yeah. just like Chicago Public School. Yeah. Otherwise, all your friends will be gone on and you'll be 15 in third grade. Right. Right, 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 right. Because and 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 every every day, this life is a test. Like you said, Erica, you said everybody may think you come out sounding like new new gold or whatever, but they don't realize the test that you had to come through, the test and the trials that you had to wither or to even to get to that point. Because God is a refiner. His word is a refiner. It's going to purge us. It's going to clean us. It's going to burn us. It's going to scorch us. It's going to get up all the impurities to make us worthy of his intervention. And I can dress appropriately enough to cover my wounds, too. Oh, yeah. But, Sam, you can go on with the prayers because we've given you a long enough break, I believe.
Everybody went silent. Say what? Okay. I said everybody went silent. (laughs) Yeah, I'm on mute for a few minutes. I'm going to be on mute for a minute, too.
Oh, the black topping. And that's special. <laughs> All right, who's next? No, who wants prayer? I mean, they they they're like that. Okay. In other words, she got finished dealing with a client, then she wants prayer. Yep. Twenty-four cents. Whatever. I'ma pray for your crew while I wait for you. Hey, that rhymes. I'm a poet, did you know it? <laughs> okay, let me pray for Jakira. Hi, Yes, Father, help her. Help her, Lord. Help her, Father. Help her, Lord. She's crying out, Lord. Help her, Lord. She's crying out, Father. Help her, Lord. <clears throat> Help her to understand that it's only in you and through you that she can get what she needs. Help her to see that and to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I mean, pray for Ridge. Yes, yes, continue to structure her life, Father. Structure her heart, Yarrako, son, direct her path for Shiraka. His name I pray, amen. Patricia Arnold, Honda, the Ganda, the Ganda, the Ganda, the Ganda, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Grandaka, Honda, the Ganda, the Ganda, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Grandrasaka, Yaraka. Wally Horton, Yasha, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Gosation, the Gosation, Randrakosa. Randy Gosteshi, the Gosteshi, the Gosteshi, the Androsa, Sakara. Thomas Lawrence, Shandy, the Gander, 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 just a matter of when she's trying to do so much inside of her. At this point, there's no more her left. Hey, that's too close to the ground. Get away. <laughs> she's going to run out. She's going to run out. It's just too, you know, you, we, see, we have to learn how to walk in Christ's strength, and she's trying to walk in her strength. And she's already on the edge, so just had a countdown on when the meltdown is going to occur. So, Father God, whenever it occurs, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to send your ministers to the harvest, Lord, that will be able to sow word, prepare her heart so that she'll be able to receive it. And just, Father God, just be God. Just be God, and we give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, Natasha. Patricia Wiley. Okay, let me pray for Maria Mather. She had to go into the gun 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 to go into the g
Help her father to walk. Help her father to roll. Help her father to soar. Help her father to move. <clears throat> However you know she needs to go forth, Lord, help her in that capacity, Lord. Let the word of God increase as you remember, remind her of who she is. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And we got Tony Aina. Honey, the candy, 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 he has to be trained, retrained on how to respond accordingly about how God needs him to respond so he can go forth in the areas of that God wants to go in. Again, he just doesn't know any better, so he's only coming out of what he knows. But in due time, a transformation will occur, and he will rise up and walk in the full authority that God called him to walk in. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, woman, finally ready for you. You ready to listen? Are you still trying to act like you got a job? I um I can listen now, sir. Okay. All right. Hmm. 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 Wow. I mean, it's a lot that was flowing through me. I mean, I go to constantly with you to whom much is given, much is required. You know, God keeps giving you more. But it's like what I see is like you sitting down. And here comes this power. Here comes this power that you have, and it's just given to you. Like, now what am I going to do with this? I don't even know what to do with all other stuff that I got. So I'm going to just sit here and wait. And you're sitting there, and you're looking at it, and it's like lightning bolts or whatever, but it's some power. And God is giving it to you, and you're not quite sure what to do with it at this point. But you recognize, well, if he gave it to me, it's for a reason. And really what I'm hearing from here, from him, is he gives you this because he can trust you. He can trust you to have it. He can trust you to use it. He can trust you to, to like I said, you're pondering, you're sitting, trying to figure out what it is he wants you to do with it rather than just running around, oh, look what I got, and I'm going to go do this, that, and the other. God trusts you. Because you have been trained and yielded enough to him that he can enter in and give you things, and you will not just run off and just be arrogant, but you will seek him regarding all that is going on before you do anything out of order. In Jesus' name I pray, man. Hold on. 
fuck? Where my bus car at? In my room? Yeah, all sheep is in other words. I don't know. I ain't looked for it. That's really what you said, y'all. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Right. I ain't got it in my hand. I don't know where it is. Anyway, who else wants prayer? Um, Pray for the, the Campbell family. They lost their mother this morning. The who? Campbell family. The Calvin family? Campbell. You know, like Campbell. Campbell. Oh, Campbell family. Okay, Father, I'll pray for the Campbell family. Father God, thank you, Lord, yes. Holy Spirit, yes. Changes. You need to anoint someone in that family to rise up in her stead. You need to anoint someone in that family to be in charge and to put things in order, Father. I sense chaos and disorder, hurt and pain. Lord, you need to have someone come there to calm the storm and to speak peace. Father God, move in a unique way and let your word penetrate. And everybody will come in order. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And I want to pray for um, the Jenkins family. Yes, 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 Father. Beautiful ashes, Lord. Turn this sorrow into joy. Hmm. Help them to rise up, Father, strengthen and gird them up, Lord. Remove those things that keep them from rising up in you, Lord, and allow your life to transform their hearts. Place a hedge of protection around them. Unify and direct them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Who's next? All right, who else wants prayer going once? Dude, you, now I need to have that shirt on talking about I'm not lazy, big as you are. I didn't say that on the prayer line, did I? Oops. Yeah, I'm still on the prayer line. They talk too much. All right, who wants prayer going once? Who wants prayer going twice? Who wants prayer going three times? Okay, somebody can pray for me when we get out of here. I think I'll turn. Okay, Father, we come to you today raising up Brother Sam. Father, we just pray for his for his continued walk, for his continued obedience. 
We pray for health and wellness for himself, his family, and his household. We pray that he continues to receive revelation as he continues on this journey and that he will do as he is requested to do, whether he wants to or not. Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all I had today. Work for me. Hmm? Work for me. <laughs> well, I guess that means you can run off the line now. Yep, works for me. Yeah, I know. All right, I'll holler you later. Everybody have a great one. You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.
Hello? Hello? Hello?
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.